Here we are, born to podcast. We're a bunch of guys with microphones. And I am the first of those guys with microphone, a.k.a. Captain Boot Scoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. your host, Jesse. And this, of course, is the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch, the podcast where I force my friends to love the things that I love the way that I do. And sometimes they put up a fight about it. Now, the first of those friends this week, the first week of our fabulous movie season here at Sudden But Inevitable is a very good friend of mine. You know him well. You love him. He hates you. It's Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. How is your Friday? Uh, glad the week is over. I've got some nasty toothaches that I'm taking care of in the morning. Uh, that's putting me in an even worse mood than usual. But uh, I guess that'll give me plenty of fodder to crap all over this movie. You love fodder. I would like to say really quickly, good morning to Callie and Rona D. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. And I got to say, Ricky D., I feel like maybe you're applying a set of standards to this movie that should not be applied to this movie. But to help us figure out the answer to that question is another very good friend of ours. You know him from the Cheap Seat Reviews podcast, the podcast that reviews the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. His name is Sean. Sean, how has your week been, my friend? Hi, thanks for having me here. My week has been uh, acceptable. Acceptable. Well, it, acceptable. It, it sounds like no. you might be sitting in the same boat as Ricky D. Which one of you is, well, is driving that boat? No, well, no, I don't know if it's in the same boat. You know, I don't have any tooth pain or any kind of ailments. I just, uh, you know, it was a work week. I do things. I, I fix stuff for a living. I got responsibilities. And, um, and, you know, I did stuff. And then, and, um, but this is a good weekend because my kids are at my parents' house. So, um, that's, uh, yeah. Say no more. One of the reasons why I'm able to uh, participate with you because I don't have to get up in the morning. 100% understand, man, that is a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for joining us. I am glad that you're here. Really quick, before we introduce our last friend, we do have one more friend to introduce. I gotta say, in case we haven't mentioned it, this week on Sudden But Inevitable, we are watching Highlander. Ricky D and Sean have both never seen Highlander before today. And now that has been remedied. So, with that out of the way, we're going to introduce our last friend to you. You know him if you've listened to our show. You've never met him before, but I'm very, very happy to introduce to you our friend, Sincera. His name is actually Steve from the Sincera shop, which is where I got the very cool Cowboy Bebop piece of art hanging behind me. Steve, how are you doing, man? How's your week been? Oh, I've had a pretty good week. I just I saw that you were possibly getting bombarded with Highlander haters, so I had to I had to jump in and, and help you save the day. It's truly the this is probably my favorite film. It's the only honorable thing to do. So I gotta say thank you so much for joining me and standing next to me because, like like I said, I, I feel like there's a a chance that these two guys are maybe applying a set of standards to this movie that isn't really I don't know if fair is the word for it, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. That's what the show is all about. Now I do have to say your T-shirt is absolutely beautiful. Where did you find it? Oh, it's this little uh, little website on the internet that has just all kinds of great stuff. That this is the only thing I've gotten so far, but so far, 
It is great. It is amazing. That little internet website that he is talking about is twistmyarmpodcast.com, which is, of course, the online home for all of the shows here at the Twist My Arm Network. That includes Twist My Arm, Best Flicks with Ricky D, Marvel Canon Madness, The Intrepid DM Journeys, Sudden But Inevitable. There's so many shows. Just go there and download them all because then you don't have to figure out which one you like best. Spoiler alert, it's going to be this one. Now, with all oh, hey, which uh, this is probably for later, but uh, which one did you just do? You had a conversation with the California Brown Coats, correct? We did. If you go listen to specifically the Twist My Arm feed, we had a conversation with Linnell from the California Brown Coats, and they we talked to them all about how they you know organize charitable viewings of the movie Serenity. Lots of Brown Coats get together, they donate money, and then they make this one lump donation to the you know whatever the charity happens to be now currently their charity is the al wooten jr center and if you would like to help that cause you can go check out twistmyarmpodcast.com and download the latest episode all the links are in the show notes and it would be greatly appreciated we here at sudden but inevitable can't do anything without brown coats because that's i mean that's the dna of our show that's where we came from and we got to say thank you again to ricky d for helping us with that and coming up with the basis for that show and thank you of course to sincera for being with us since the start of that show it was one of those one of our oldest friends in the podcasting world much like sean is so it's it's i'm i'm very excited in case you guys can't tell to have all of you here with me especially because it's been a while since um i feel like i really cut loose on somebody for their incorrect opinions so with all of that out of the way i would like to open it up to my very good friend Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews to please give us a synopsis of the movie that is Highlander from 1986. An immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal of his immortal opponent. The last of his immortal opponent? Is that really the sentence? That's a bad sentence. <laughs> An immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal opponent a murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled prize. If I can take a moment, I think the synopsis that's written on IMDb for this movie is written just as well as the movie itself. A, I would say that the movie's synopsis, especially the one that takes place right at the start of the movie with Sean Connery's voiceover, which I believe we may have some fun facts about, is from a time when that's not an unforgivable thing. Like movies, especially, I mean, if you consider the popularity of Star Wars back in the we're day. Heading, we're starting this off heading down the road that all movies from the 80s are garbage. Which is just tacitly untrue. Like there's, right. it's not a sentence that's correct at all. But what I'm you're, saying is you, that. You are entitled to your opinion, Ricky D. It just, right. it's, you're also entitled to have it be wrong. And, and what I'm saying is that if you if you look at this movie with a modern sensibility of like, what would I want to see at a theater now? Yeah, it's going to fall short in some spots. I concede that. But I would not go so far as to say that a movie is poorly written. Uh, but that's also because I love the movie. And a big part of that comes from having seen it as a child, which is sort of the whole point of this thing, right? Is getting people that are resistant to the thing to look past their resistance, right? So for this movie, this is one of those movies where if you've never seen it before 2021, you're definitely going to like glance sideways at some of the effects and maybe some of the exposition and maybe some of the content, and you would be right to do so, of course. And like I said, we'll get into that. But the movie as a whole, I think it stands as a 
enjoyable, fun triumph. And if you if you can't find something to enjoy in this movie, then I feel like there's a lot of other stuff that you're not going to be able to enjoy because it's, I don't know, maybe too thin is the word that you guys would use. But let's start at the start of this movie. We have this immortal race of beings. And of course, Sean Connery is narrating the existence of these beings. Steve, did you say that there was something about that voiceover from the beginning? Since the dawn of time. No, um, <laughs> he he finished, Sean Connery finished his filming in about a week. And then they decided to have him do the voiceover in post-production. And he refused to come back from Scotland just to film that. So he he recorded it in his bathroom. That's not bad. I, I no. did not pick up anything in that first thing where I was like, that was awful. It just sounded like the 80s to me, much like the production logo right at the start. My first note was even the production logo in the front of this movie is cool and ATZ. Uh, it, it, it just it has this like what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like an industrialist film company quality to it. Like we stamp out movies and this was meant to be just another in the long line of, to Ricky D's point, crappy 80s sci-fi movies. And it just happened to be a gem and they stamped it out along with a bunch of other terrible stuff, which if I'm not mistaken is pretty common for like B-movie studios. I think uh, Corman in particular is pretty famous for that kind of a thing. Um, but some of the people that worked on Aliens, you know, came from his his tutelage. So good things come from movies that are subpar. So just just right away, I would ask Ricky D, and then I'll ask Sean. Ricky D, what is the thing about this movie that you thought was the stupidest? It looked like it was all filmed on a high school play, like a the stage for a high school play. Really? Like I expected to see camera equipment and crew standing around the edges of a lot of the scenes that uh, sword fight in the middle of the Scottish, uh, the Scotland, like uh, that tiny castle, right. Where the entire castle collapsed around them. The rocks. Like, (laughs) yeah, the, the rocks falling down by the end of that, it looked terrible. All of the lighting was just absolute trash. And I know it was made for a different TV type than we've got now, but the lighting was so bad rick if you're going to build a castle that you're going to destroy before the movie's over it's not going to look the best (laughs) but also they didn't they didn't destroy a miniature like usually it's like they pan out and like boom and they blew it up they were in it while it was falling apart well and i i wouldn't even disagree that it was a poorly shot set piece but i would say that like the other shots that you mentioned in that same location so for example when he's being trained on the edge of the cliff and you know they're running down the beach and stuff like that those were some amazingly beautiful wide shots with great lighting and beautiful contrast tons of um really nice landscape shots in this movie that i that i you know were probably not filmed with a drone for several reasons um but there is something to be said for the parts that you could tell were on a set and i i'm not going to disagree with you there but I and, and Callie, Callie is correct. That is that is a true a true story. Sean Connery had a bet with the director that they wouldn't finish filming his scenes in a week. Apparently, Connery lost. I could believe that. Now, to Ricky D's point, my last thing before I'll jump to Sean is there. There was a definite shot at the very end when he is spinning in the beam of light, where you can definitely see the wires that are holding him up. And I'm as a Star Trek fan personally totally fine with that but i get how that could rub you sideways again 
the movie is older than we are, Ricky D. Just just keep that in mind. It's older than we are. But <laughs> that's fine. But there's movies like Terminator that came out in 1984, mm-hmm. Alien 1979. There is a good that we're, there's good movies from the 80s. We can't just right. say everything from the 80s was low quality, so we have to accept the low quality of this film. No, I'm not saying everything from the 80s was low quality. I'm saying the options for practical effects and digital effects were different in the 80s, depending on your budget, right? Like, I mean, they were they were different and they were lesser than they are now. I'm not saying all of them were bad, but I'm saying in general, when you watch a movie that's from the 80s, you can tell right like it has a a look about it where you're like oh this is but it doesn't always hurt like it hurt right in highland but i would say if you're gonna stick to that point it was basically that scene every other scene wasn't didn't feel unless you have another example because i can't think of another one that me that i personally thought felt like a set the rest of the sets and shots in it i think felt pretty realistic to me like that final fight was also really bad that didn't feel like a set to me that, that i mean that, that, that was an actual factory like this that's that is filmed in the silver cup studio yeah and it and it even if it were i mean it would be a set of a factory right so it's like yeah and it felt like and the a, budget was only 16 million it, so what do you what do you expect well and it felt like a real space to me like it it, it was to me like i 100 percent agree like the castle it, there was like a styrofoamy quality to the to the brickwork, right? And when he would swing, something about the weight of his swing and the balance of it, and the way he would hit the rocks and the way they would fall, was less than convincing. I forgive it, unlike my friend Ricky D. But I do I do concede that it is not beautiful to look at cinematically. Now, having moved past that one instance where you could find a thing that looked like a set, Sean. Assuming that you're not maybe in the same boat as Ricky D, but you guys are possibly in the same body of water, maybe of different vessels. I don't know how it all works. Maybe you're separate captains. What was the thing that you found to be the stupidest about this movie? Okay. So I I have to admit, I wasn't prepared uh, for you to come in and ask me specifically at the beginning (laughs) of this thing, what was the dumbest thing in the movie? Um, Going on a motion. So, no, you're fine. You're fine. So when when you when when you asked me to do this, and I was like, yeah, I've never seen it. I'd, I'd actually like a chance to, to watch this. And I was messaging you and Cameron because uh, I only got to watch like the first thirty minutes. I got to watch this movie in like forty five minute segments, um, and and so I was I was pretty confused and kind of bored during the first forty five minutes. And you're like, God, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. And and I could tell even on like Twitter messaging, you were your your uh, hackles were getting raised a little bit, which was kind of funny to me. <laughs> um, so, to me, all of the things you've said, Jesse, so far, I actually really agree with. Uh, yeah, it's there's only a sixteen million dollar budget, so things like the the CGI. I'm not going to use CGI. It's it's no it's an offense. Special to, effects, to yeah, <laughs> yeah. The special effects lightning. It's cartoon stuff. It's the same thing that they use. It's the same technology they use in Ghostbusters. I don't. I don't care about that stuff. Yes, you can see the wire when he's spinning around. And I like how you made specific reference to being a Star Trek fan. Um, I can remember when the Star Trek, uh, the, the original six came out on Blu-ray and they went to true HD. There's a couple of moments, especially in Star Trek six, when there's some weightless moments where you can 100% see the wire. And it's because when they shot that movie, HD didn't exist. They were expecting the grain of video to hide flaws. And so, so again, that kind of stuff, 
don't care. I really don't care about that stuff. Um, and the the sets again, it's a studio. Whatever the the location stuff in the Highlands was beautiful shots. There was a lot of really great um, exterior shots. That stuff is great. The stuff that annoyed me mostly was um, weird decisions by the characters, and there's a lot of logic problems in the movie. And there's a lot of others, and there's bad editing. To my opinion, the, this movie's biggest flaw is its editing because there's so many times where I'm in a scene and I'm confused as to what's happening. Um, like specifically when you know McLeod goes to the wrestling arena, mm-hmm. which, well, you can tell we're in the '80s because those guys were wearing <laughs> Confederate flags. It's just like good gracious. And but his gimmick right, was apparently to be very effeminate as well. Like. What? okay none of that wrestling part made sense yeah. but i didn't care it was like okay all we're trying to do is establish that he's at a place to to go fight somebody else he was supposed to be the madison square garden obviously it was in a high school gym but that's not i don't i don't care so they have that fight scene in the in the in the basement in the undercar uh, garage and there's a couple of editing moments where like they're sword fighting and then they kind of break away and then they can't find each other and then he one guy does a sword thing and then the guy starts flipping backwards like he's flipping yeah, like flipping businessman yeah. and then it's a great then the camera, but then the camera shows him not flipping he's looking around while the water's pouring down and he's looking for duncan and then the next cut is he's still flipping so i thought yes did he stop flipping to look and then kept going it just seemed very so i i will say to answer that question yes he flipped to where he was going, looked around, and then flipped to wherever else he was going. So, okay, the the I don't know if the defense uh, defense is the right word for it, but the counterpoint that I will make is, it's 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 the year that it is that they're making this movie. They have the time and money constraints that they do. How do you convincingly portray superhero level people on film w- without? I mean, because at the time, right, it's like you can be really, really durable or you can be really, really fast. And that's kind of the only things we can effectively convincingly show with practical effects. Like we could show you get shot a bunch and not die, or we could make it look like you're running super fast. So I feel like the ridiculous... Really fit stunt doubles, too. Right. The the ridiculous, um, arguably extraneous flipping stunts were just to show you like look, this guy, when he's standing around, looks like a 78-year-old politician, but he's clearly quite nimble and is able to move very quickly. And I think some of those quick, you know, admittedly sort of jarring cuts are meant to indicate they're moving really fast and things like that, which they didn't have the, the they didn't have slow-mo that was great. There was no bullet time, you know, the Matrix hadn't happened yet. But I I do, to your point about the editing, Sean, I did write down, a flashback within a flashback it's not too often that you get that in a movie and you would almost it's like 16 walls yeah you, you would almost never get a flashback within a flashback now unless it were probably a christopher nolan movie right yeah so what i what i feel like when i watch this is i don't know if you guys have seen it have you, uh there's the there was the reshoot of the obi-wan darth vader fight in in a new hope yep I feel like this movie needs that because there's this fight in the beginning that of course is rather what's the right word 
boring. Uh, he, easy, yeah, sure. Easy to judge. Easy to there's, judge. there's random things that happen. Later on, we meet. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little. We meet Fassel. Like obviously, he's one of the, the the final four, I guess. But then his fight with the Kurgan is just like, oh, ching, ching, right, ching, okay. like. How did you live this long, dude? But I think if all yeah. these fights were redone, yeah, yeah, abilities, this is a movie it, that was highly. They were really working like it revolved around combat, mm-hmm. and the stage combat was god awful. Now I will say the, I think a part of that is because they went. Let's have uh, okay, we have to address that for a lot of fans of this movie. The essence of it is the quality right like the idea of a bunch of rowdy immortals running around with their favorite sword for thousands of years killing each other when it be when it suits them you know like that's an excellent setup for a lot of fun and you could they could all have different fighting styles because they all have different swords and they could all be experts at different things right and the movie definitely does try to get us to believe that it's just that i feel like the filming restrictions and maybe the execution sort of prevented some of that now that having been said i feel like the last fight is still a pretty effectively well done fight like it it has the environmental hazards that you would probably eventually rely on as opposed to okay we can't just show these guys clanging swords back and forth for 20 minutes right we need them to like throw debris at each other there needs to be environmental hazards the woman needs to be in danger there's there's a lot of things that they you you can tell why was she there well she was she was there because as far as if you'd like the real answer it's because kurgan thought that mcleod would just go to the church and stay there he didn't think that mcleod wanted to fight him the kurgan genuinely believes that everyone is afraid of him so he's like i'm gonna go there and put him in a position where he has to leave that spot if he wants to save this woman which you know again is a thing for him because the kurgan has already raped and killed one of his wives before so it's like or, people you know, on the set were afraid of him he didn't he didn't kill the wife right he just raped her and she never told connor so and i mean okay I promise, Sean, I will answer your question, but the Kurgan. I had a question. The Kur- well, I, I saw your hand come up. Maybe you just wanted to speak. But Oh, no, no. I'm just... The Kurgan. Nobody in this movie had more fun being in this movie than the guy who played the Kurgan. Can we at least agree on that? Like that dude. Oh, yeah. He was hamming yeah, it up. When he was on the screen, he was enjoying himself. He loved playing that character. And I think we could tell that. And I honestly think he has one of the better performances in the movie there's definitely some error of okay can you ape a little bit of the terminator thing going on can you just be very large and imposing but really the kurgan my favorite thing about him he's not stupid like he's very well spoken he has a dumb voice but he speaks well, he's got a, he's got a vo- his vocal cords have been sliced over right i mean even before that he sounded like a like a cartoon yeah, bad guy right but like but he he's still well spoken he has beautiful eloquent word choice he is smart enough to think ahead he like i just said he set the trap for connor where he's like you, you can't stay here which is the only place i can't get to you so it's I, I like that the character has some personality even if it's under some layers of big dumb wall of of 
meet, right? Callie D says, Kurgan is the Jane of Highlander. That's a pretty good comparison. I feel like he might even be smarter than Jane, though, because he knows well enough to look down on humans, right? He spends the whole movie looking at us like cockroaches. The people in the hotel that he stays at, which, you know, he chooses because it's seedy, but it's like he still judges everybody there. there. Yeah, he still judges everybody there. He still judges the prostitute that shows up at his door, which is, you know, very 1986. So I I just, the Kurgan I feel like is one of those, like if you want to call them, if if you want to argue the point that the movie is a failure, I would say based solely on the strength of the Kurgan as a character, and how much fun that guy is clearly having and how effective he actually ends up being i i think that's i think you can't have one with i I think they're mutually exclusive because he was so good the movie can't be a failure now i have a lot of other reasons that i don't think the movie was a failure but by the end of the movie we want the kurgan dead right we're like just kill him because he's creepy and gross and like just get rid of him I'm, i'm ready for him to be gone if you want to talk failure, like another reason to against that point would be that the movie I think only made five million and it was the budget was sixteen, but they made sequels mm-hmm. because there was enough of a cult following, and that's those sequels were should not have been made. Yeah, well, and agree they were Hard fun. They were fun, but they should not have been made and lo- because they there there could be only one. That was the tagline, right? And then they made seven. Now, I would I would be fine for a sequel that was a um uh just a updated version of this and it was self-contained much the way this one movie felt like it was intended to be and then they went, "No, let's add some more stuff because it made, you know, people started liking it." Um so actually so the, the the movies and the the sequels all found ways to go, "Oh, he wasn't the last one. There were guys <laughs> that were like frozen in animation and Yeah. Uh, there were seven, if you count like the series and the uh, the spinoffs, and there was there's a TV the show, fourth too. movie. Then the, the, there were t- yeah, the TV show. Then there were two movies that went straight to video. So yeah, there was like all in all seven, and there were seven seasons of the TV show as well. Yeah. So there's there's a lot, and like the the TV show picks up with yes, Connor has killed the Kurgan, but they're like, oh, that wasn't the final battle. That was just his mortal enemy, and there's still <laughs> more out there. Yay! Let's disregard all that. Yeah, so if they were going to do it again now, I would say give me the prequel series with each of the different immortals, right? Like, follow each of those immortals for four or five episodes, watch them kick some ass, and then at the end, have them all come together for the gathering and fight for the prize. I could totally dig that. And I think with today's visuals and money, I think it would work really, really well. Um so really quickly, though, to the point of cult classics, I think that that's an important thing to talk about because it's sort of, I mean, like you said, the movie, is, it is a cult classic. And a lot of movies that come out and are critically panned or, you know, widely disliked by the public do end up going on to have this second life because there is some quality in there and people can understand that the bones and the blood of this thing are beautiful. So I... I gotta ask Ricky D. Is there not? Are there no movies that you really enjoy that people think are just awful? I'm sure I could think of some. <laughs> uh, there's off the top of my head, I could think of a few older Martin Scorsese films that are not super well liked. But again, it's Martin Scorsese, so it's right good quality. I'd have to, you know, I sold my 
not sold. I donated all of my DVDs a long time ago, so I don't have <laughs> like a giant wall of DVDs to look at and pick something from. But I'm sure you're right. Of course there is. Right. Well, okay. Okay. So, um, and to the not not in like a an accusatory way or anything. Um, do, did you like snakes on a plane? Uh, not really. Really. Because we, actually, I never got around the scene. If I'm not, were you not in the theater with me and a group of people when we saw it in the theater? Was that not? Were you not there for that? I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Oh man. Okay, so in the theater when Samuel L. Jackson said the line, right? Yeah. Everybody threw rubber snakes at the screen, and on the way in, (laughs) there was a guy handing out rubber snakes. He was like, "You'll know, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know." And then as soon as it happened, everybody did it. And everybody in the audience screamed the line along with Samuel L. Jackson. It was like this huge communal experience that we all went there just for that line, right? Nobody saw that movie for any reason other than to watch Sam Jackson say that line. Because See, I think that that movie was intended to be the next uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then it just didn't quite get there. Right. I, l- because they were, they, 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 well, they forced it. They tried like, here, here's the snakes to throw at the screen. Like you're supposed to right. throw things at the screen from Rocky Horror, exactly. and it just didn't quite get there. And and it was, yeah. it, it kind of feels like they were trying to make another, uh, a better version of like Sharknado. Honestly, right? That was way before. It was before so. Sharknado, but yeah. Oh, way, was oh. way before. I was in high school when when, when Snakes on a Plane came yep. out. Yep. I want to say that was senior year. That old? For us? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. I, no, I, I think that was senior year for me, if I'm not mistaken. Oh mm-hmm. wow. Okay. Uh, I'm not 100 percent on that on the timeline there. I think that, but... that was same year, same year as Too Fast, Too Furious, I believe. Ricky D, did you like the Matrix? Yeah. The first Matrix. Mm-hmm. Okay. First Matrix, pretty critically panned. Did not make a lot of money. Uh, out of theaters within like weeks. Uh, went on to be a huge huge cult movie and then of course what happened we got sequels to that cult phenomenon now the first pair of sequels that ever came out in the same year and that was that was weird and we could we could go argue about the matrix sequels all week long i'm sure but let's that movie made 500 million dollars let's stick to you're not gonna claim the matrix is is a cult classic it made 500 million dollars and go look at it not in its first week yeah it was re it was i I bet you it was re-released or it was in the theaters for like eight months or something to make it back because I remember when it first came out, it was kind of buried. Like it didn't get press until I think maybe the second weekend, but it was, I mean, it was not. Uh, and my guess, Sean, is that I'm talking about uh, versus the money that they spent on it because they spent a a penny on that, on that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Now, there's a lot but my but my point is a lot of movies that come out that people are like the quality of this is low that later become beloved i think it's because there is something beautiful underneath all of the the potentially clearly fake skin right like maybe some of the skin the practical effects are not great so oh well, there's a good one right there you talked about the matrix you know, the Matrix was they invented that that spin shot. Yep. Uh, I forget what the actually there's a term for that, but they they invented that, and it wasn't. It was like some people said, "Whoa," and some people said that was weird. Yeah. The opening the opening shot in Highlander, spinning around the the fight, that was invented for the movie, and the the gentleman that did that, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he later on went to he went on to invent the Steadicam. Oh wow! I was gonna, or, I was gonna say because that shot felt like just yeah. a a standard like Steadicam on a crane, like whooshing around that whole state. It's a very impressive shot. 
Like I could be getting that wrong because the Steadicam might have been invented already, but it was the same guy that invented the Steadicam. Right. I talking I, about the yeah. the establishing shot in the arena. Yeah, the, when they're the... when they're spinning around the the arena the, the 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 ring. Yeah. Like he invented he invented the cable system that that allowed for that because that's one continuous take. Yeah, it reminded me of like a football game now. And and that's where like that technology comes from. This film. I'm pointing because I'm watching it. Sure, <laughs> for all those in the in the chat. So because because I allowed Ricky D and Sean both a moment to air a quick grievance, Steve, what's your favorite thing about Highlander Man? Oh man, uh, just nostalgia. <laughs> so my favorite thing about it actually is also the saddest thing about it is that when I was in high school, I wrote a script that was that like what if there was a guy that lived forever and like was just involved in certain things and then and then the other people like him came to kill him and my my uncle said you mean highlander <laughs> no no he's he's uh he's a he's a scotsman and he's like so you mean highlander like, all right like and so then i'm watching it and i'm like son of a bitch <laughs> um mine was a little bit more um well no there's really there's hardly any difference honestly right. but i it made me think like hey i'm on the right track right and then um i guess that's that's a personal thing my favorite thing about it I don't know. It, it, I discovered it at a time when I discovered that I was Scottish. And so I was really into it and I was really into Braveheart and I'm related to Rob Roy. So it just kind of fit into my niche. And, and yeah, I, I, I love it a lot. I've watched, I watched it every year on my birthday. I didn't know who Queen was. So that was my, my intro to Queen nice. as well. Um, yeah, I, I do love the story of it. Like I, I would really quickly in the chat, we have, we have Callie D asking, can someone explain to me why the garage dude haunted the cars after his head got chopped off? I mean, by that point, I was just going with it, but who needs logic? But I'm just curious. So, Callie. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic that happens when a when one immortal beheads another, the quickening takes place, which is where the the life energy and the power of the immortal that was just killed pours out of their body and goes into the body of whoever killed them so it's it's the or steve is it equally divided among the remaining immortals i don't remember nope okay no you you yeah. they, they keep score and that's why you, dis you discover that later. and that's why the kurgan is so strong because he's the one who has killed the most people so that uh what happens at the end after he kills the kurgan where all the windows blow out it's it's like energy right like sci-fi energy so that's why the cars turn on or the windows blow out or all the signs shoot sparks you know and you know different things like that and that's why or flames from the sewer exactly i mean the, the gas yeah. lights on fire the sewer gas lights well, on fire molecules yeah molecules are freaking out the energy in the air is 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 magic and uh uh flammable so i mean it's pretty straightforward flammable magic um but it also then pours into the person who killed that immortal, and that's why the Kurgan is always like shaking real bad, and he has to focus himself by putting his hands on his sword because he's being filled with even more power, and he's bursting to the seams. So uh, she says, "Ah, okay, because Connery got one single lightning flash, so I wasn't sure whether that just happened sometimes. So there was a lightning well, flash. It, it builds up over the years, right? Right, and like... and I kind of went with like." 
he's probably better at receiving that because he's used to the feeling of it. He seems to have mastered these techniques. I mean, we could talk about Sean Connery exclusively if you guys would like for basically the... No, she, I think what she's... Cause her point specifically, I thought this was weird because the rules about when you get the, the energy change throughout depends on what location you're at. Because when, hmm. because when Kurgan kills Sean Connery, she's right. There's a little bit of wind and a little bit of lightning and that's it. But he's... Whereas when... Kurgan kills the only only black guy in the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's like nuclear explosion. So, and so, if it's a if like like Steve was saying, if it's exciting the molecules in the air, right? Then there's your difference because you have small enclosed spaces versus cars. Yeah, electricity in the inside. Like, things are underground. There's more things explode when you're in New York City than you are in the in the. Did, right. So did the filmmakers think of that? Right. Probably not. Probably not. Are we yes. making excuses for the film? But does it probably yes? But does All it, night long. But does it probably fit? Oh, Rick. like yes. Like that's the thing. And and like there's a difference between making an excuse for a thing and allowing yourself to enjoy a thing. I'll just point that out before we go any further. I like it. Callie says, I can roll with that, even though it's a little bit inconsistent. We appreciate that, Callie. That's kind of a skill that you have to have if you're going to watch or listen to Sudden But Inevitable. You got to sometimes be able to roll with it, even if it's inconsistent. Or if you're going to watch the rest of these Highlander films and series, like the the inconsistency is why I drink. Which most people should should not do. I would not recommend it. So beyond beyond sean connery playing a an egyptian man by way of spain who spent some time in japan there is a queen soundtrack to this whole movie do you find no enjoyment in queen's music like either of you sean or ricky d <laughs> oh, i had i didn't have a problem with queen's music oh right all. you just didn't like the it's editing like, i'm sorry uh, and they, they only originally wrote the one song and then when they finished the album around it the director said i want all of that in here give it the only time that it was it was a little strange was when there's uh electric guitar music playing when they're in scotland oh yeah you know, like, that. if you left left that in new york then it kind of feels like it it makes it fits it fits but keep the orchestra stuff in scotland yeah but and and i think i messaged this to you hold on i just a second the the the, the soundtrack, the score, when they're in Scotland, it sounds like, and I know that this movie came, comes out later, so I'm gonna give, uh, I'm gonna give Michael Kamen a little bit of shit for stealing. <laughs> it, it sounds like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It really does. I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, did Robin Hood? Did he steal that from this movie? So, the score I actually enjoyed. I really did. And then, and then again, the Queen stuff. I had zero problem with it. Just leave it all in New York is my only thing. So and there, there is a music video of Freddie Mercury dancing around with Christopher Lambert and on the Silver Cup Studio set. And, you need to see it. and it is amazing, by the way. Like it is pure 80s goodness. And like his his, his signature microphone stand becomes a sword and they have the moment. It's, and it's, it's like, beautiful. And and I wasn't trying to like uh I did not mean to cut you off or interrupt you, and I wasn't trying to prevent you from making your point. My point, because I knew exactly where you were going with that, is going to be the movie is about Connor McCloud and his timeless nature and how moment to moment his mind could be in any year because he's lived such a long, exhausting life. Of course, you're going to have some bleed of the soundtracks, my friend. And and like Ricky said, if we have to, we'll make an excuse for every single piece of this movie all the way through. I would prefer to say there was a lot of, I feel like you can see on the screen, regardless of how you feel about the movie itself, you can tell that the people making it really wanted it to be a beautiful thing. 
Now, there are maybe some spots where they did not achieve that, but I would argue that overall they mostly achieved it. Now, uh, Callie said... Well, that's what I read, about, I read about all the films, like the sequels and the series. Like Everyone had a great time, even if it didn't turn out well. I'm, and that, yeah, that's, I'm, that's stories for Highlander 2. I might be I willing to give them a shot. And my, my wonderful, beautiful friend in the chat, Rona, says, we in Scotland like electric guitars yeah yeah but not in 1500 is my hey you don't know that i'm sorry sean were you there yeah i'm sorry i didn't realize you were from the 1500s sean my bad look at the hair obviously i was (laughs) oh totally and i am the old guy on this quad in this uh, quartet so yeah i respect your elders no the um what is that you were born in 66 no 33 i'm like are you i'm 40 go ahead sean okay wait well then it should be a conflict to you if I think I'm older than you. So Sean mentioned that yeah. he was expecting Robin Hood to show up in the movie. Callie down in the chat is saying she was expecting somebody from Princess Bride to show up. And this is right about the exact same moment where I was waiting for Mel yeah, Mel Gibson, William Wallace to show up. <laughs> there there was a lot of flavor of other things going on. Well, William Wallace is as much a mythical character as Highlander is. So, and I mean, and as a as ignorant Americans, we only have so many cultural touchstones in our zeitgeist for Scotland, right? Like we ha- we can only keep so many things in our brains before we run out of space. <laughs> but I, I brave brave Braveheart is a fantasy. Let's I, I can I can clear that up. For oh no, no, uh, yeah, listeners. yeah. Um, though a legit movie, at least I think, is pretty good, is that uh, the the crap. It's one Out- with uh, Chris Pine. Outlaw King. Yeah, I heard Outlaw that's, King. that's accurate. Yeah. Really good, and it's pretty accurate. And um, I know yeah. he's real, Rona, but, oh, he's but, real, his, but his the story of Braveheart. Braveheart is a fantasy. Was, William Wallace is very real. He was mythologized of a, a version of a real person. So they address that in the film, like. He cut through fifty men, a hundred men, <laughs> like Moses through the Red Sea. Like they're 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 showing his story get get uh, yeah. mythalized. Yeah, the, the story of Braveheart uh, is as accurate as, as Gladiator. And I have to point this. I have just really quickly have to say our friend Cameron from Green Shirt Podcast is back in the chat. Really quickly, Cameron, you didn't miss much except Ricky D saying that the set in the castle looked like a set from a high school play, which I didn't disagree with, but I also pointed out it's the only place in the movie that it it, it did that. So, um, and then uh, Sean doesn't like the editing of the movie. Um, and he doesn't like that Queen was sometimes used in the flashback scenes and not just the contemporary scenes. I think you're all caught up. Uh, Sean, do you enjoy Jesse uh, just kind of just giving a small little discussion of our views with that belittling voice? I don't care. That's like I, 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 <laughs> I, I came in here knowing that this was going to happen, especially since I preempted him with a little bit of messages saying, "Like, what the hell am I watching?" So, well, that's why I, I jumped was, in here. I had to, I had to hit, like balance the playing field. If I was listen, if I was just in the chat right now, listening to Jesse deal with the two of you about this, like I wouldn't, I would have thrown my computer against the wall. So I'm here. Do you here to help? Do you want me to like give him an expounded version of the last forty minutes of things that we talked about? Because no, he just needs to go back and listen to the podcast. That's what right, exactly. And, and where can we? And where can they do that? They can do that at any of their favorite podcast catching services, or they can go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash sbi to get everything all in one place. But Ricky D, if you would like to provide your own synopsis of what happened before Cameron got back, I was just trying to catch him up. Then I. Perfectly with perfectly willing to allow that. Yeah, uh, for a little better recap, Sean and I 
are pointing out the bevy of flaws in this movie and how it's really barely even watchable while Jesse and uh, Jesse and Steve are weaving this fantasy where this is actually a great classic film. So that's how things have been going. I will also point out the last, the last piece of that is that in the last piece of that is that Ricky D is currently dealing with tooth pain. So some of his vitriol may not have come from the movie. Go ahead, Sean. Okay, I feel like I'm being way misrepresented here. First of all, Callie, I am not pointing out every single flaw. I Again, I love the soundtrack, and I like the Queen parts. The only thing truly has been so far that I've said out loud is the editing. I have some other small small little things, mostly logic problems. I I eventually know I didn't like the editing, Cam. <laughs> I, I, I can give that to him. The editing it's is, so, like, it's choppy, but it's 80s. It's Again, we have to stop using the '80s as a, as a, as a as a crutch. I mean, there are a lot of really great films in the '80s, and and I know that we can't compare. I was trying to find a, an apples to apples comparison for this movie, and we, it's hard Lady to. Hawk. Yeah, I guess. Come on, like, man. I, Medi- medieval techno, like the no, the, the queen, the queen not... stuff is forgivable compared to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was just. Like, I want to do something like Willow, right? But Willow is a, you know, $38 million budget, and it has Ron Howard at the helm, you know, and... Uh, before I, you continue, I, I should justify, I love Lady Hawk. Like, I'm not, I'm not oh, Lady Hawk. Yeah. No, 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 Lady Hawk's a fine film. I love um, it. It's just not techno. Yeah, sure. I just... Gosh. I didn't hate this movie. I really didn't. And Ricky to say that I think that it's unwatchable is also very unfair. I, I Once I got done watching, the problem was this. Here's my problem. It's all about, um, and this is my same uh, issue I had with The Shining. I know I'm going to get really Ooh. piled on here. Oh. Is that uh, I was told, I was told, expectations, right? Uh, happiness is expectations plus reality equals happiness, right? You like mm. uh, sports metaphor. Right. Uh, like Jesse, you were a Steelers fan. So this year, going into this year, you probably had pretty low expectations because everyone on the team is hurt. Ben is on the, his last legs, literally on his last legs. You're just hoping to maybe squeak into the playoffs. Maybe. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like it's expect, you know, it's reality. So my point is with back to the shining, I was told it was the scariest movie ever made. Mm. And then I watched it and I wasn't scared. So it didn't live up to what I was told to be the expectations. Oh, gotcha. So for Highlander, I was I only knew a few things about Highlander, right? I knew that Sean Connery was in it and that it was fun. I I learned only a couple of years ago that the Highlander is not the the race of immortals. He's just from the Highlands of Scotland. Right. That's him himself. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that. I just thought that was their species or race or whatever. So and that's I I appreciate that big time because I I, I at no point until Ricky started making just like blanket incorrect overstatements did i say that this movie was anything other than a ton of fun and for that reason very good like there was nothing about the movie where i was like this is a masterclass in thing x right but i mean wait well did you hear that that highlander won the academy award for best movie ever made best movie ever made yeah i mean it's is it dumb fun sure is it fun yes and that was my initial re, uh uh, resistance to you, Sean, was that you? Your first sure. text was like, "This part isn't fun," and I was like, 
are you serious? The movie opens with Queen. Like, they're screaming at you to have fun. And if you choose not to have fun in the first 15 minutes of this movie, then that's probably on your headspace or how you're watching it. Because the, there's nothing about the movie that demands to be taken seriously. I feel like it's pretty clearly meant to be a fun thing, personally. That's, like, that's where I'm at. Speaking of which, I don't think we've gotten beyond the first 15 minutes yet. It's okay. So it's fine. It's okay. Well, we've yeah. talked Everybody about knows the plot. <laughs> All right, cool. Just check but it. I do think I do think that the, the opening of this movie is a pretty serious thing. I mean, the opening literally starts with him being grumpy at, at a wrestling uh, with the. Which, by the way, again, I already mentioned the wrestlers, the racist wrestlers, or like these very large men, and the three they were fighting were like my size. Right. It was very weird. Um, it was the eighties. You didn't have to be in shape. Yeah, that, I guess. Uh, it's, um, steroids. So then they go to the basement and they have the big fight. So I mean, that's kind of a, a serious thing. So again the expectation was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of swordplay, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, whatever. And then and then once I realized there was a part in the movie where I my brain clicked and I went, oh, this is what this movie is. It's when he's doing the, he and the, um, I don't know the guy's name, I'm sorry. The, the Again, the black guy in the movie. <laughs> when they're having their, uh, their kind of flashback and it's like uh, 1783 uh, in America and he's drunk the and duel? having the and in that moment, it is the most ridiculous thing I had seen on film in a while. Yeah. And I mean, like the like the aide is just flipping over, like he's just stumbling over himself to kiss his master, which was really weird. Oh, that, that took place in France, by the way. Not... Yeah. It's a... <laughs> oh, that was France. I thought it was in America. No, no. Connor Connor spent a lot of, of years right. going from to other countries before he finally yeah, I didn't even I, I could have swore he said he was in America well and anyway whatever it doesn't matter. and like I'd mentioned earlier there's definitely some problematic stuff in the movie that I'm not gonna stand here and be like oh we should forgive that like it, I mean sure that but like like when, a lot of the trash when talk the guy shoots, when the uh when he shoots his his aide in the back I'm like why did he do that that's what I realized oh I I can't take this movie seriously. right I well he was trying to prove that his gun worked because right. he didn't think his gun was working on Connor so he's like does this fucking thing work and then he's like okay I can I can still kill people he didn't shoot Connor. I was under the impression that he shot him in the buttocks but also that guy yeah. that guy knew better you know because he was like okay if I shoot the guy that I just that just walked away then that makes me a coward because I'm shooting him in the back stop suggesting this just because you want me to win so bad in fact i'm gonna shoot you about it but also did you were you not immediately reminded of mal and his his duel with oh, atherton yeah, I, like it was t the casual nature with which he is just like i don't care about this at all like it, it was so yeah. it was so fun like it was it was flippant fun it was and but it was that that was the moment where i realized oh i can't take this movie seriously oh yeah like that's when it was yeah. that's when i was like oh okay that's where this movie is is like we're actually doing a little bit of slapstick right so well at this point and 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 it's a and that's what i'm talking about the 1986 factor is like their movies in the in the back in the day right i mean it's a thing that i think you could see in a lot of different movies from back in the day they had to because not everybody had a chance to make a movie right there were no streaming services there were no direct-to-videos quite yet it was you know a, di a very different market when you put a movie out you had to appeal to as many audiences as possible right you had to get as many butts in those seats for your movie to succeed so you had to be there had to be something in there that kids would enjoy there had to be something in there that adults would enjoy you know it there were 
there were a lot of stuff, there were a lot of things in 80s movies for me personally, having grown up mostly in the 90s, that felt shoehorned because it was a movie and they knew people would be watching it. That's kind of how I felt about some stuff in 80s movies. And I don't mean to use the 80s to excuse anything in the movie. I, If anything, I think it's a strength because the movie very clearly has a vision for what it wants to be and uncompromisingly delivers on that even if you know it's it knows i mean i would think the movie going into creation knew there is no way this is a movie for everybody right it's a sword and sorcery slash sci-fi movie scored by queen it's not for everybody but we need to get as many people in as we can so I think the queen, the queen was trying to help with that, honestly. Right. Also, this this is Kaylee, by the way. Hi, Kaylee, the kitty. Yeah. She's so oh, pretty. He's showing us his butthole. I mean, that's she... that's what cats do. <laughs> what cats that's do how cats that. are. I was hoping that maybe we would get one week of TMA style shows with no cats, but it's a good cat at least. So I'm, I'm. And oh, and she is K. Winnet Lee cat. Yes, <laughs> I love it. So I. And to to your point, Sean, about the logic, I actually had a note. Um, let's see. Oh, after the bagpipes. Love the bagpipes. Hot damn on these location shots. The movie does really try to have every genre in one movie. I feel like it manages to knock most of them out of the park. There are a couple stumbling blocks. And then I wrote, the plot is actually pretty tight up to this point. And I think the point that I'm referring to is where um, Connor first meets the Kurgan and then you know, gets expelled from his village because they think he's a witch, which totally follows. But then he gets attacked at his new castle by the Kurgan and then stays there, I think. Yeah, like that was a bit weird. He didn't like, change like location he... in 150 or 200 years, which is a dumb move. And yeah. that I will give you. That's a stupid move. But, I mean, if we were trying to explain it away with movie logic, I would say they're immortal. They probably take fewer... Uh, precautions than other people, just in general. But it, it, you're right; it does not make sense that the Kurgan would absorb um, Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez's uh, powers, and then, you know, spend the time to rape his woman, and then disappear. It's like, dude, that's where he is. Right. Like, that's your the, the guy you've already marked as your sworn enemy is, <laughs> is there. There's, there's like, go, go back there. You're more powerful. Yeah. Now. Don't like, need to make a loop. It. Just, just wait. So it'll be fine. <laughs> like and yeah they're, they're like if i had seen like a, a different scene where it's like why do we have to leave connor it's like oh because we must go and make our life elsewhere and if the next scene was was him and, and heather in say france or you know i don't just somewhere different but that he was still living in the same area like it, it would have been nice to see a different Scot- they didn't have to stay in Scotland. Like they right. were done with Sean Connery. Sean Connery is the reason they were filming in Scotland because he didn't want to leave. So it's like, okay, cool. Next exotic locale, please. Once the cinematographer was up on that cliff, he was probably like, you can pry this location from my cold, dead hands. We're shooting as much as we can here. I don't care if it's pertinent to the story or not. I agree with that. But um, to Sean's point about a, a couple of logic flaws, I did also say the sword and pieces, though, that he has in like the assault rifle style case, that's got to be a bad design, right? Like, because doesn't that just create inherent weak points in the blade like but again but it's but that also shows that he adapted to the times because how do you get a sword on a plate exactly which goes back to the point of the kurgan not being an idiot put it in storage and ship it i mean if the The same way i got a gun on a plane i put it in storage and shipped it i mean it's fair but i mean how how often do people get their luggage lost especially in 1986 sean 
This is 86. He could have carried it. It would have been <laughs> he fine. He could have just walked around true. with it, a la the rest of the movie. Die Hard, you know, um, Die Hard yeah. literally has his gun in his holster while he's flying in a plane. Yeah, you know, Kurgan could have easily gotten himself a badge. Like, he'd been around long enough. He could have done that. That's true. I, I, I don't think yeah. I don't think cops carry swords. If they do, I want to move there. And, and be so this is a great question because you've seen uh, all of them. Uh, Shoot, I'm just a legit Cameron. question. Are the oh Cameron saying words about me? No, okay. no, they're, they're talking. They're talking about oh. themselves. I'm not watching the chat, so I guess okay. Is I legit was wondering: Are the swords magic? No, um, what you're seeing is actually that's that's movie magic because they all I know, I know how the sparks work. Okay. I'm not I'm, yeah. I'm not asking about the sparks <laughs> because like at the end of the movie, so there's two moments in the movie where the swords become magic. One is when they're having the fight scene in the tower, right? And his sword, he's striking the a stone building, and the building is falling down from his strike. That's a practical effect failure, and it is pretty, I think, pretty clearly meant to indicate that he's so strong that his overswings are knocking shit down. Because Connor, in the beginning of the movie, when he beheaded that dude, or the first time that he tried to behead him and he missed, he buried that katana like partway through that uh, concrete pillar, right? So well, it's, it's, a steel, it's a steel pillar. So there's different construction through different times, but I don't but, think it's something they but, thought of. But the point is to indicate like ultra strength on the part of the sword wielder, right? It's just that yeah. it you're right that it looked clumsy when the blocks fell over. That was the point that Ricky had made. And I'm okay with the super strength aspect. I really am. I'm just again, we're talking about steel hitting a stone. I don't think the swords are magic. They, no. they never. It's never talked about. the The closest but, thing would be the energy that that's flowing between them causes the sparks. Right. And that's all I can think of. Well, and, he, and again, I don't really care about the sparks. I really don't. I thought it was kind of a neat shot. Uh, I was I, okay with. I love. I love that effect. In fact, that's actually some of the wires you're seeing in the final scene. Is the wire that's running up his sleeve to do to that? Create, <laughs> yeah. To create the the, the circuit. I, again. The, the other part of sword magic is when uh, Kurgan is just losing his mind and he's literally slicing the steel sign down at the end of the movie. Like that thing is made of cardboard. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care how strong he is. It wouldn't work. Either he's going to break his sword or it's just going to bend the metal. He wouldn't cut it. Especially like since the sword is in, in several pieces. Right. But yeah, that, would, that, 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 yeah. He is remember he is magic because he has absorbed the strength of the hundreds of people that he has killed. Okay. And does the sword does imbue the sword imbue his magic? Right. I don't know. I wasn't there. I mean, if, if that were if seriously, if that were part of the canon, where like the sword because again, even the, the katana he's given, according to the lady, is a sword that can't physically exist because it was made by metallurgy that hadn't ex- been invented yet. Right. Well, it hadn't so been like, documented that it had been right. invented yet. Sure. But again, that's what made me think like, oh, so these guys, when they become Highlanders or the magical beings, whatever they are, when they become immortal, they are given a sword. It is their birthright of a sword that's magic. Well, and it could just be... I was, I was creating this in my head. It could just, <laughs> so, well, it could just be like know? the these swords are like, it, you know from a very basic standpoint audience understands sword as cutting instrument therefore it will cut through things that it normally wouldn't if a person using it is very strong now i would also point out excuse me you can like you can put um like diamond dust on a saw blade right and then use that to cut through stuff that it normally couldn't cut through so like if they have access to 
being able to forge this steel, you know, fold it a million times or whatever they did. Maybe the Kurgan has access to some kind of crazy mineral edge on his blade that we don't know about. Again, I'm not going to pretend that the movie is 100% airtight logic-wise, but I, I feel like... If, if there's anything that you pick, there's nothing that you can't, uh, that you can point to that makes the whole movie fall apart for somebody who has enjoyed it. Because there's, there's. It's a kind of magic. Yeah. It, sure. And, again, and it has I, that like. Please, please understand, like, these are the moments where I was like, okay, I, 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 it didn't take away from the scene, honestly. Right. What we needed to have happen was Kurgan to kind of lose his shit. We needed the girl to be in peril. And we needed them, we needed to accelerate the fight, right? We had to have more stakes. So let's. Let's add sparks and water to their fight scene so we get to have a submarine fight, you know, where they come out of the water and they get that yeah. cool shot coming out of the water. Like, all of those elements are fine. Again, this is just the part of my brain where I'm like, is he a, does he have a lightsaber now or is his sword magic? So I in my, in my version of Highlander, having seen none of it but this movie, I just i am going to believe that the sword is magic. Because, with that. again, earlier in the movie, when Sean Connery and he are fighting and they're on that cliff, and Connor knocks his sword out. That thing falls 5,000 feet. And all I can think of is, what poor PA has to go get the sword now? <laughs> and they even cut you know? back to Sean Connery like, wow, that is a hell of a drop. Like, he, he's just <laughs> looking over the edge of that cliff like, that thing is still yeah. falling. I mean, all they have to <laughs> yeah. do is, is jump after it, die, and then get resurrected, and then go pick it up. Exactly. So. Yeah, like that, that sword went through the equivalent of in Thor 3 when Loki was like, I've been falling for 30 <laughs> minutes. Like, the sword just did that. Now, if the movie were made now, that was for you, I bet they would do that kind of stuff where they would, like, purposely you know take damage that would kill a normal person and then live through it you know just for the sake of like convenience or shortest spot between two points you know because they could probably get away with it better better now well that's, that's something that gets brought up in the the series is that uh duncan mcleod he gets killed a lot but his head never leaves his shoulders so he does die yep. and then he <gasps> And he wakes up. So going really quickly back to the police officers in this movie, this is the only point that I'll make on it. I like any movie that shows people who skirt their job duties uh, to be bad people. Like the, for some reason that just is effective for me and I, I like it. So um, I did also really, I would also like to praise some of those police scenes as incredibly accurate. So that was probably the best part of the movie. I'm a New York cop and I don't like you. (laughs) <laughs> and it was like the one the one i think it was the police chief or or maybe just the sergeant or whatever from that department but i love the scene where the hot dog vendor goes did you see this headline and he goes come on man you know cops can't read and it was like <laughs> that's that's a great comeback for so many reasons and i love and, and, he, and he's covering up the truth that he that he knows what it's about yeah i i love and the same thing with like hey there was something like this last week in jersey and i figured yeah well, what the hell that's jersey like they weren't they weren't paying us any attention until it landed on their front doorstep and that's very new york cop in the 80s and i was gonna say i think that you could put on the movie being from 1986 where they would go, yeah. hey, this exact same kill happened. And they went, yeah, but it was like 100 miles from here. So <laughs> there's no way it could be the same person. Yeah. Or, yeah, it was really just the Jersey stab. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, a different, that's a different country for as far as I'm concerned. That just happens in New Jersey. So before I give my next, my next notes, which is, is one of my favorite transitions in a movie that I've seen ever, um, I'm going to just ask you a sort of a blanket question, Ricky D, from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Do you feel like there's 
anything about this movie that you enjoyed? And if you did, what is it? I really can't think of anything that I enjoyed that I thought was exciting. I mean, I it wasn't two straight hours of misery, but it was two straight hours of confusion and... I can't really pull out anything that I really enjoyed about it. I gotta, I have to ask about your watching experience because like it, like, I, like, like Steve said, the plot of the movie takes place in the first three minutes of the movie. They give you, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. Like I, it, and forgive me. I don't mean for this to sound like an attack at all. I promise. But like, what about it is, is that you like, that you didn't follow or that you like you said, you were lost or you were not like, I wasn't really lost. It was just confusion about why would people make these decisions when making a movie? Uh, that kind of confusion. I definitely didn't have any issues with the plot point. It was more, what are they doing? What am I doing watching this? What is Jesse doing? Suggesting this stuff to me, <laughs> that kind of confusion. Well, why do you think I liked it? Uh, it had a lot of child, like, boyish fantasy and charm which i you know could be enjoyable through the right kind of nostalgia mm -hmm. the rose-colored glasses but i'm just watching it and i mean i feel like the whole thing just felt like pro wrestling the beginning of the movie where it set it up where they were showing pro wrestling the entire rest of the movie was just this weird sword and immortal like pro wrestling yeah, I would I would agree with you, Ricky. That might have been like the the big better for they were going for, but actually that opening fight was supposed to be a hockey match because it was the most violent sport that they could get their hands on. But in the original script, and then they just had to replace it. Well, and for me, I mean, it I think it took until this watch through because I, I it's not a movie that I do watch every year. It took until this watch through for me to go, oh, he's watching a battle, right? And that's why he had the battle flashback. I didn't even put those together the first time. Um, but I will say, in defense of, uh, I guess, the movie's uh, effect on me, there's a difference between enjoying things um, for nostalgic reasons and remembering the enjoyment that you had the first time, right? Like, the enjoyment, the way that it affected me the first time was like, oh, movies can just put their story on the screen. And then, oh, a, a movie doesn't have to have a soundtrack that looks like it belongs to it. And like oh, the main character doesn't have to be intelligible. You don't have to be able to tell every word that he says. Like, some stories can be told visually. He couldn't know, speak English when he, when he took this role. Which I think is pretty apparent in the movie. <laughs> but yeah. like, And hilarious. Right. And and I mean, I love it. And I loved him as Raiden, too, for kind of the same reason. It was like, oh, it's the same accent. Like, <laughs> um, But I, I like the movie for me was my first experience with a lot of ideas in in filmmaking right not necessarily like the first sword fight i ever saw but it was the first like uh probably the first beheading of anybody i ever saw and it was like i said that mix of like the queen with contemporary music with like a an older setting right that was like oh i didn't realize that that had happened before in film or that it could be done and it, it was kind of like this new enjoyable thing but you're a hundred percent right that it totally caters to like all of your, you know, 12, 13 year old, I want to be the hero. I want to have the girl. I want to, you know, have all the time in the world to figure myself out and, you know, that kind of a thing. It definitely plays into that. It's definitely a hero's journey movie. Um, and when the, uh, when, sorry, McLeod, what's his first name? Connor. Connor. When he goes to his like super cool loft apartment 
I was just like, oh, this is so like that. It's such a cliche eighties apartment. Yeah, it's a Batman. I mean, it's a Batcave, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, it's. I mean, that's how he stayed rich. Was that like, oh, this thing that I found will be an antique, you know, I'll, next century. I'll sell cool. this, at, you know, every fifty yeah. years or whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, like I said, it's one of those movies where I think if you if you go into it not wanting to enjoy it, you're right. You might come out not wanting, not having enjoyed it, but. I feel like to say that there's nothing redeemable about it is just like such a stretch and a reach. And I, I, I disagree a hundred percent. It would have been more redeemable if they stopped at this one and, and left it alone, oh, but yeah. the, the sequels just kept coming. And, and there are some that, that they tried and they did well, but there are others that are just like, dude, why? <laughs> Cameron in the chat says, I'm talking to my wife about it now. And we have just described the quickening as an orgasm, but with lightning. I would say that's exactly what I was thinking with all the windows blowing out and all of that. that's exactly what it seemed like. And the moaning, I would say that's an apt description of that of that uh effect. <laughs> well, the quickening in real life is actually the first like moment that a fetus expresses life. Yeah. So it's that's why they call it that. And it and it's like, you know, for an 80s movie, why do I know that? It's not for an 80s movie, it's not that subtle a metaphor, right? Because of course he does get the girl and then the sex scene is only gratuitous right like yeah because it bec and again that's one of those things that i'm gonna say that's because it's an 80s movie like if you've seen oh and, and every every sequel sex scene is exactly the same yeah if you've seen airplane or if you've seen vacation or if you've seen like there's a lot of movies where well, they there's went even movies in die Hard. right there's a lot of movies where yeah. they went put this shot in this movie because we are going to be on a screen and they already paid me like so i, I you know it, it wasn't as egregious as some other movies but i it definitely is a scene that the movie doesn't need now steve correct me if i'm wrong i think the sex scene in the second movie actually prevented it from being released for a while or something like that or like the sex scene had to be way cut down to get an r rating or something like I believe the so. director that was one... like t way too into it for the second movie uh this sex scene was pretty oh graphic. no 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 sit this the second the second sex scene is like on some stairs <laughs> after a fight in in the rain and clothes are being torn it's uh, when i say exactly the same i mean like they all kind of mean the same thing and they're all just like they're all shot in the same lighting but yeah the, it, it they went Oh my God! Look, let's let's just do the exact same one, but let's turn it up to eleven. And uh, yeah, I personally call it comparable to. Oh, good night, Cameron. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you stopping by. Um, I would say that the graphic nature of the sex scene in this movie, Ricky D, is comparable to that of the first Terminator, for me. Like it was. There's a lot of full frontal. Uh, okay. And then... The second one is more watchable. What? Yeah. What really bothered me about the sex scene is that the actor christopher lambert who was playing connor mcleod and was it roxanne or brenda was that the one brenda mm -hmm. was that his girlfriend he actually put his mouth on her nipples yeah i mean that there's probably that is i would imagine you your ass sued for that in 2021 well, in 2021 but i i would imagine I mean, 2010 2000 it yeah. i would imagine it depends on the the actors and the director per production regardless of the year right like and there's no way to know. Like, I, I mean, I guess I could see if there was a consent form involved. I don't know how yeah. movies were made back in the 80s, personally, because I have never made a movie before. 
But I mean, does the term consent exists in the eighties, right? I, yeah, I have no idea. It does. I mean, I know we're making jokes, but it it, it does. I know. Again, we're making no. Jokes, but to but Sean's like, point, that is, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. would imagine there were controls in place even in 1986. Like there, there was. Oh God, it's yeah. probably not a wild west sort of thing even in 19 honestly actually if you think about it probably especially in 1986 if we're being real like if we want to get real there's probably a lot of good reasons to control any sexual activity on a movie set in 1986 so i mean from what i'm told they were all drunk and high which you could you can kind of see in some of the scenes i think i love christopher lambert's voice like i i don't his his english is terrible and i think the accent is just so he's French Canadian, in case you don't know. But he's... And, and they did work with him on the accent to make something specifically non-accentual is what they is what they said. Is right. That he had to be someone that had twelve accents coming out of him all at once. And they have the movie address it. He goes, Hey, you talk funny, man. Where are you from? And he says, Lots of different places. Yeah. And it's I just it was like, okay, well, at least they addressed it. Um, I, but was, I I don't think there was too much work that was like, hey, you don't speak any English. Let's have you speak English, but not tell you how to inflect things. Right. Cool. Done. So first transition that I'll point out, like by name, when it goes from the fish tank to the Scottish lake and there. So like it fades cool. into the water line from the fish tank becomes the water line on the lake and they're on the boat. That is well done. Like cinematography. That is a well done piece of editing. So it stands in direct opposition to your to your thing about editing, Sean. And then the second one of those that I really liked, I, I'm not saying it one good transition. I'm not in saying, and I'm not saying it invalidates your point. I'm saying it stands in opposition to your point. The other one that I'll point out is the two timeless faces, one timeless face into the other. The first being Connor McCloud faded onto the Mona Lisa mural on the wall when he gets back to New York. That one's a little more heavy handed. Yeah still a well-executed piece of editing. So I, those two are my favorites. I don't know if I wrote any others down. Oh, the next one says, flashback within a flashback. Not many of those these days. And then I wrote, Pendejo, LOL. <laughs> because... Yeah, Sean Connery saying Pendejo was... That was something else. It was, he, you could, it was like he was reading the script from his hand when he said that. And now I do have to ask you, Sean, as an audio engineer... Yeah. How did you not love the extensive use of ADR in this film? I mean, because oh, okay. <laughs> so the sound design in this movie is is dreadful. It really is. It's bad, and I understand that that does actually lend itself to the budget, not the year. Um, <laughs> um it it lends itself to the budget. I understand low budgets, especially in the eighties. ADR is problematic at best, and even on good movies, but there's some bad ADR. There's some bad special. I mean, even the sound design, like the sword fights, it didn't sound like swords fighting swords. It sounded like uh, metal like, against metal in, in a, in a warehouse like, or something. Like a forge or something like it. It sounded, they, they were, they were definitely hitting an anvil instead of yeah. hitting swords. Against, yeah. I get you. But, but yeah, I think that could have been to show, Oh, look at the strength behind it. It's like a hammer hitting an anvil, but I don't no, it was I, I a compromise. I, it was yeah. a compromise. Let's not pretend they were trying to do that. But it yeah, but you worked out. But that's way. the point is that you have to make compromises when you're making a movie. Like you, you can't do everything that you wish. And, you could and we do. can't praise every single one of those compromises. Oh no, and I clearly have not done that if you've been listening. Go ahead, Sean. I didn't mean to interrupt you. 
no, no, it's fine. Uh, I, the sound design is kind of bad, but there's a lot of movies where you, you can forgive some things. I do have a question. I actually want to go back to the sex scene. So <laughs> of course you the do. Ladies in the chat. Don't we all. Ladies in the chat, seriously, this is a legit question. I, I always get annoyed when, and I know it's an 80s movie, so we have to have a sex scene. I get that. But it doesn't feel like he earned it from the girlfriend in New York. Like, she kind of hates him. He comes over for dinner. He finds out that she is a cop. Um, I kind of like the idea that he can sense things, like he can sense danger that, oh, I know that there's going to be a, a loaded 45 in here and this tape recorder, which ain't going to record shit in that box. <laughs> um, That's actually how they know, did like, the sound mix for the movie. Uh, you're not wrong. And um, on that, that particular device, too. But so like they leave on bad terms, right? She leaves on bad terms and then she figures out who he is. So she doesn't trust him because now she's found out that he's been lying for forever. Mm -hmm. Then she comes over to the house and he stabs himself and then he's okay. And then they just start doing it. I'm like, he didn't earn anything. At least have a scene where he saves her from the crazy dude or something like, you know, like usually they have like these high emotion moments where he's, He's done a heroic task, so she like it just felt so weird to jump from, you know. Just, I will agree that it doesn't feel like he earned it. Um, personally, I agree with that. Um, what I will go with though is that this is one of those, one of the instances I think that this movie stands apart from a lot of movies uh, contemporary to it is that the female character is actually not super helpless throughout the movie. Like she's not constantly a damsel in distress she's very intelligent she's putting things together she figures everything out she ends up saving herself when uh the the sign falls over the edge of the ledge right she's like oh no and then she goes wait i can just climb back up because i'm just because i'm out here doesn't mean i'm screwed and she you know saves herself so i uh, agree with you that it doesn't feel earned but i i think you may have hit it on the head when you said it's because it's an 80s movie because i I I don't have an explanation for that. Like, yeah, I don't think needed to have. Sex. Yeah, and there yeah. was nothing in her performance to me that really indicated that she was like super attracted to him. Like, yeah. I they definitely had. I I liked the moment where he like was pretending to flirt poorly with her, and he acted just creepy enough to get her to leave, but not creepy enough for her to call the cops. And then you know, once she leaves, he's like, okay, now I'll go get my sword since I creeped her out. But little does he know she saw right through that and followed him back to where the sword was, right? So it's like throughout the movie, she's shown to be intelligent and resourceful and can take care of herself. So I just, I agree with you that it doesn't feel like an earned connection at all. Um, Callie D. I'll, I'll, agree as, I'll agree as well, because I, I feel like the whole point of Connor's character was my wife from my, my first love <laughs> is dead and I watched her grow old and die. And I'll the whole point of, of my character is that I'm never going to love again. I'm going to live forever until someone kills me and I'm never going to have love. And then of course he finds this love with Brenda, but there was no moment where you see him go, I should, I should now change my ways and, and find love. And then she never had the reciprocating moment where, Oh, he did this for me. I'm going to be in love. They, it must have that scene must be on the cutting room floor or no or no one wrote it in didn't exist but yeah, it, yeah. Is, it, it, it is missing i'll give you i'll give you that uh, our friend callie d in the chat says sean trying to pull us over to his side but i agree i kept thinking from her point of view he must be so creepy he stalks her talks down to her and is just generally nah 
Uh, yeah, she was only intrigued by his sword. I can, I, I'm going to go with that. Um, flush me, Jay, flush me. <laughs> so I, I, and, and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of things in the movie that are, um, I don't know what the word is for it. Cheesy, dumb, whatever, like Ricky said, questionable decisions. Um, but I, I feel like there's enough in the setup and the concept for me. So like, to that point, um, have, has anybody on the screen ever seen 1984, or I don't know if it was in 84, uh, have you seen David Lynch's Dune? Yes, but a long time ago. Okay. I have not. I want, I, I want to see the old one and the new one. Okay, so I just watched the new one last night, and having, so, okay, I watched the first, the original movie, and I, I can't remember the year it came out. I want to say it was in the 80s, but... yeah. That movie, same thing, it came out, critics were like, okay, why is this two and a half hours? This makes no sense. It's overly long. It's bloated. I don't understand it. But then all the people that were, you know, fans of the book or that really liked um, Lynch's adaptation were like, dude, this is why. Like, the, the concept here is clearly there. Yes, he's limited by being able to show a... 450 foot long monster convincingly on a screen yes that's difficult to do back in the day right but you could tell that love and care and meaning went into making the original dune and i think that's why it amassed the cult following that it did and you could argue that's why we got the new dune because the fans of that property are so ardent so i, I in the same way here i'm in that that boat where i'm like no the movie is not like a, a pinnacle of perfect filmmaking but it's definitely a vision that was executed by somebody that had a fairly specific thing in mind like immortals fight with swords and then they get their heads cut off and you can't argue that we didn't get that because we definitely got that uh rona says dune came out in 1984 oh really quickly we have our friend josh normally from sudden but inevitable and the twist my arm podcast in the chat says so glad you could make it sincera i'm sad that i'm not there but you guys are crushing it thank you josh happy that you could stop by and we cannot wait to have you back with us so i'm gonna, I'm gonna i'll knock back a prairie oyster for you later boss <laughs> i already had enough bourbon though Oh so man! For the morning, yeah. I, I, how many drinks in are you? I've only had my my. I, I finished. Drink. I got a little, Ooh, I got a little left. Buddy, if if you've watched Sun but Inevitable before, you may have seen a video of Sincera slamming a prairie oyster, and there was one other. What was the other one that you did? I I did the uh, the vodka hot water tonic oh. that that Faye has. Oh, I'll 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 let you know a little something. I'm not a vodka fan, and so I did that with gin, and it was slightly more tolerable than vodka but it was still not something i ever want again but not by much oh man that's yeah. that's brutal um so but the prairie oyster is delicious i don't know what everyone what everyone uh gets gets all fed up about I, it just it looks like it takes a constitution to get through it um i mean i i got through i got through all seven highlanders so you can clearly tell that i have a constitution that's a really good point and and i can you want me to tell my story really quickly to Callie D. You had mentioned earlier that there that you think the Kurgan was the Jane of this movie. I got to tell you, I think the guy that named his Uzi Marie is the real Jane of this movie. He's driving around. He's listening to Queen. He's like, I'm gonna take down a criminal. I'm gonna be a vigilante. Uh, I named my gun. I think that's the Jane of the movie. But I actually liked that that guy. After they pick him up, he's like, "Dude, 
I'm insane. I have an insane level of stuff, and I can't kill this guy. So you guys are going to have a problem with it. I like that he was fully aware that he had, you know, crossed some lines societally prior to that and used it to make his point. Go ahead, Sinisera. Oh, I was going to say that uh, I I watched Highlander, the first one, with my girlfriend back in 2012. And then she sat through two and three and four and most of the series with me. And uh, then and then she said yes to the marriage proposal. So and then it turns out love is a powerful thing. It turns out she didn't like a single one of them, <laughs> which led me to two things. One is that that marriage is unbreakable. But two, I had to watch all of Sex in the City. And Ooh. if I had known that going in. Some compromises. I think you got the better deal. Yeah, some compromises and, you wouldn't make. <laughs> and then number three, number three would be that I'm admitting that I actually enjoy Sex in the City because it is well written. I was gonna say and, any yeah. anything that's well written has the potential to be enjoyed. I've I've never seen it myself, but I've heard HBO a lot of positivity. had killer content in the late nineties. Yeah. They they did that, that even applies to Sex in the City. I would say that also. I I, I wish that I'd watched Sex in the City when I was dating because that I just know so much more. It's a playbook. Whereas finding it after I was committed to one forever and ever is like, oh well, well thanks. Now it's 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 like the it's like the president in the in that the movies like, hey, now that you're president, you get the book of all our secrets. Right. Like, you need the book of secrets before you're president, but you, you can do shit with right, it. but you can't do anything now that yeah, it's 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 a catch twenty two. Yeah, I I mean I hear that man. Yeah, it that's that's a beautiful story, and love is indeed a powerful thing. Um, I mean, love is is the second. You know, story of Highlander. It's just there's four different loves that he had. Yeah, I mean, it's it's buried under some stuff, but it's it's in there. I mean, you know, I I I don't have a lot of ultra specific notes still to go through, other than like moments that I really like. Um, other than I did have a quick note when when he finally breaks everything down for Brenda, right? He goes, my name is Connor. I was born here. This is, you know, that, um, I said, every time a Holics anonymous meeting starts with that kind of introduction where you say who you are, the year that you were born and how long you've been alive. Um, but she has the, the other thing that I immediately thought was, wouldn't she be more interested in the stuff in his room than almost anything that he could converse with her about? Like, I, I, he, she would ask him about the stuff, right? She'd be like, where's that from? And then he could tell her that story. So maybe that's how he closed the deal, right? She went, oh, where's that artifact from? And he started telling the story and she was like, that's what I'm into. Tell me about the of course, artifact. She probably, knew, she probably knew everything by looking at it. <laughs> she was testing she didn't him. Need, she didn't need him. Yeah. She was like, oh my God, look at all this stuff. I should definitely, I should rope this guy in. Narration of prior knowledge is her kink. Yeah. So. You know, but 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 she's like that 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 that's your clincher, Sean. Is like I should rope this guy in with the talents that I have sexually, <laughs> so that I can get back into this room later and and see all this stuff. That makes her a more terrible person than the than the movie. <laughs> that's not that's not what I was hoping to convey, but I I feel like I feel like she just knew what she wanted. How shallow can I be? I know I'll use my body to get back into this room so I can look at his stuff. Yeah. If, if that's what if that's what came came across, I apologize. That's not what I was going for. <laughs> she had an intellectual need, and she wanted to study some stuff. So, I have uh, what else did I have? Oh, there I had you go. a Cal Callie did it better than I did. It's like Beauty and the Beast. She truly falls in love when she sees his library. 
Let's go with that. I don't, is with is that. library a euphemism for something? <laughs> no, no, the literal the literal library. Earlier, she said she's that he's a, she's only interested in his sword, and I think that was definitely a euphemism. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I had uh, just one other note about the Kurgan. I I feel like if you really think about his character and what he's up to, you can get it. Like he's been alive for so long. There's these people around him that kind of demonstrate nothing but uselessness right like they're all just languishing in this terrible hotel there's all this like drugs going on they're not trying to help them. there's a thinks there's some unemployed people there yeah i just it, it's one of those things like if you really think about the kurgan character yes he's ridiculous and extreme but like you can kind of see where he's coming from you know had you been alive for thousands of years watching the human race do what it does to itself you'd get sick of it and you would want you'd be seeking thrills all the time which is why he's constantly hunting down other immortals and wanting to fight dudes even though it could end in his death you know by the time he actually does get killed he's got a big smile on his face like this is the only thing that kurgan has been going for this entire time i hesitate to bring up the silhouette scene in the factory where they're fighting in front of the window i love that scene because it's might be one of the first couple of action silhouettes that I saw growing up. Um, I think it actually still holds up. I mean, it's not HD. It wasn't shot in HD, right? But like the shot itself and the um, choreography of that fight, I think still holds up just fine. It's Well, that shot was reused in a Quentin Tarantino film, if you would recall. That was in Kill Bill? Correct. They, they use the same color palette and in when she's taking on the crazy 88. It surprises me not at all because it, the stylization yeah. here and, and, you know, speaking of stylization, they definitely pulled some stuff from Terminator here. There was some things that I noticed that the Matrix definitely got, you know, from some of the, the shooting here. Like you've got the underground uh, parking garage with all the concrete pillars that are crumbling while they're swinging swords into them and stuff. It's like... I bet you anything the Wachowskis watched this movie and loved it when they were kids or or however that lines up. Maybe they would have been in high school by then. I'm not sure how old they are, but it's it's, you know, in fitting with the SBI theme of showing the things that I love to the people that I care about and saying, look, this DNA is is through all kinds of other stuff that you have enjoyed through your life. That's that's the point of the show, right? That's why we went from Mandalorian to Firefly and from Firefly to Cowboy Bebop. So it's it's I that to answer your question, Ricky, is kind of the point of doing Highlander, because it's a movie that I feel like I knew that you would have resistance to. And that's the point of the show is to put things in front of you that you will have resistance to. So um, I think yeah, I want to join in because I've been in the same boat as Jesse before. where I've had to I brought people into this and was like, come on, it's great. Like, just watch it and give it a shot. My dad still argues with me day in and day out that this is the most terrible movie ever made. So I showed Man. I showed my wife the uh, preview <laughs> video that I made for Twitter where it was like, here's the Highlander over like some rolling hills and some nice, you know, bagpipe music and stuff. And she was like, oh, that's that's cool. What's that about? Like that kind of I love the music. It kind of makes me want to watch it. And I told her what it was about. And she's like, OK, I don't want to watch it anymore. Never mind. <laughs> cool. Like totally good with that. I fully understand. Um, this does make me worry about what movie we'll watch next, though, because I'm like, if you didn't like this, then I can guarantee I'm not going to like whatever you were watching from the 1980s. <laughs> like, but I, it's just a guess. Maybe, maybe the next movie it will be something we both love. Um, and well, we can't have that. Then what are you going to talk about? Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but Queen, 
Queen absolutely crushed it. The music video, like um, Steve was saying, for Princes of the Universe is so much fun. It's pure 80s like marketing magic. There's nothing about it that's not a cash grab. And Freddie Mercury, I feel like you can tell that he was like invested personally in this story he was like i'm gonna write this song about this plot it's very fun it feels right up his alley as far as like you know operatic dramatic ideas and stuff like that and i i feel like it's a perfect pairing so those are kind of the last few like big points that i have on it so let's go around the tape well i guess the screen as it were so steve what are what are what are your favorite big things about it or like kind of your last big points or anything that you'd like to bring up about the movie up to this point sure uh i was gonna say that this is the second fully queen soundtrack film that came out because there's the flash gordon yeah. which the flash gordon album is more like one or two songs and then mostly like soundtrack yeah and this is the, and this is one where they, they wrote a song for it and then the studio said hey why don't you just give us the whole album and they said okay so it's a, it's a bit different but it's still within their wheelhouse of cheesy 1980s films that are either hated or loved and no in between 100 percent um final notes on highlander i don't know how to sum up my feelings on this thing because <laughs> like i said i watch it i watch it every year this is the first time i've watched it not on my birthday <laughs> but um as a, a born los angelino like when you fun fact when you grow up here you don't really take pride in being from los angeles most people you know flock to their their heritage and discovering that I was Scottish, I, that's what I did. I, I became, I became a Scottish person, and so I every like there was Braveheart, which I, which at the time, of course, was like this is one hundred percent fact. Right. And I, I, I learned later on, and then of course this that I discovered, I'm like okay, more Scottish things for me, and so it just it kind of became a part of my, um, my persona, and of course growing up, it, it became less a part of it because I discovered. You know, like 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 Braveheart was not 100 percent accurate, but it inspired me to go and learn the history. Yeah. And there are historical things in Highlander that you go, oh, hey, that's the kind of stuff that happened. If somebody if somebody was wounded in battle and then healed themselves, they were considered to be witches and usually cast out of their village. Like that was a very common practice because there was no other way to explain it. Yep. But no, I, I will. I will never not watch this film when it's on. I will, if I can find someone else to share it with, I will share it with them, which is why I'm here. Um, and I will, I will watch the second one when it comes on. And I will watch the <laughs> third one, and I will maybe watch the fourth one. I believe Peacock has the series. I think when I looked up the movie, I think the series popped up on Peacock, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Maybe I'll just sit through it. Like, whatever. And. Connor is in the pilot. There you go. Christopher Lambert is in the pilot, and he passes the torch on to, to Duncan, his, right? Duncan, his cousin. Yeah. And oh, and that's the fun fact. My wife has uh, has consented. I'd say consented more than agreed <laughs> that our future children, if we have two boys, we I get to name them Connor and Duncan. Hell yeah! And I'm so ready to start practicing for that if I ever decide to, you know. It really, it really does sound for me. Then it, that when it comes to being Mrs. Sincera, there really can be only one 
and you totally found the one. That is very cool and very impressive. Now, I'm going to go to Sean. Sean, I know that you don't hate the movie, and I apologize if you feel as though I mischaracterized your feelings on it. That was never my intention. Would you like to give us any final points or big wrap-up or, you know, last last big thoughts on the movie? Uh, I'll do what I can because there's about 13 notes that I haven't had a chance to get to, which is fine. But Start going through them. Well, it's going <laughs> to... Okay. All right. I'm just going to read through some of my notes real quick. If we want to stop and talk about it, we can. Okay. But uh, I did note, like, uh, you know... Backflipping away apparently is more fun than running. Um, <laughs> getting dead powers or getting your powers from the dead guy sure is destructive. We've talked about that. Uh, hey, that's the guy from Braveheart, the uh, the old man who uh, kind of saves him there. He's, he's the guy from Braveheart. True. Uh, I thought it was weird that before their battle, they had crosses burning. That was weird. Uh, They're all Catholic. They wouldn't be burning crosses. Not the other kind. Was... Yeah, I think the other. No, it was literally as Connor and his group are running in towards battle behind them are lit crosses. Oh, then so either somebody messed up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was just one of those, it was a cut scene because it's literally just him on a horse and there he's having his banter. And in the background, you just see like this burnt cross. And so maybe like maybe they had come from another place. I don't know. I just thought that doesn't make that sense. That could be. Well, you do that. see the the oh. priest like you know cuts the guy's throat and then and then and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which which cracks so me up. There and, was yeah. a different kind of Catholicism. Back then. <laughs> Very different. You're not wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, while a cop punching a suspect in custody. Realistic. Uh, let's see. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Oh, I okay. Ha ha ha. Why is there a police co- helicopter just hanging around a construction <laughs> site? And then I love the fact that when they run away, the cop just says, hey, come back. <laughs> like, that's the point of having a helicopter is that you can see if they run away from where they are because you're higher yeah, up than and, they are. Like, And you can chase them. Yeah. And and it does the trope that I do. I hate it in, in all of the movies. The biggest, the most egregious trope. The, the trope is if it's not in the frame, then it doesn't exist. You can't see it. Yeah. Or hear it. You can't hear it. There is a helicopter 11 feet above them and there's no <laughs> wind or sound until it enters frame the most egregious is in the golden eye movie right when uh, they james bond has saved the day and he's about to make love with the pretty russian and all of a sudden the american guy shows up and there are literally harrier jets hovering 30 feet off the ground they didn't and notice like, we didn't hear them yeah. oh what, what is the term like that di- is it didactic sound like you can only hear what what the uh what the characters hear <laughs> sure i went to, i went to a little bit of film school so i i I, I, I didn't i just I, <laughs> I i stumbled on a film set and worked on a handful of movies but nothing as fun as this i did that uh, on castle I, I stumbled onto the set it was pretty fun that is awesome oh castle i love that show uh let's see uh for a guy who has lived as long as he has he's a really bad fighter um i just it, it felt like like ninja guy backflipping like he learned a skill set yep. it just felt like connor didn't learn a skill set and like i just that's what I, I said earlier. Like, if, if they ever remastered the film, like they would insert a stuntman that was like, "Oh, I can, I can actually do this stuff." It <laughs> yeah. was, it was poor casting. It's like, hey, let's cast a guy that either they can't speak English and can't do any stunts, and then because he can't do any stunts, let's not put a stuntman in there that can do good fight choreography. Was he? You are, you are correct. Now that I think about that, was he kind of picked because he was vaguely similar enough to Jean Claude? Was it like? Oh hey, we've got a 
kind of good-looking guy for the 80s, and he's got an accent that's close enough to being Jean-Claude. Let's put him in it. Like, I, I could see that. I could totally he was also see fresh, that. He was fresh off of Tarzan. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I he could... Had, he, had some, he had some popularity with the ladies. I could see them just kind of trying to do something like that. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. No, you're fine. Uh, uh, the... Uh... <laughs> Fish falling out of his pants. That was, um, <laughs> that was again a sight gag. And of course, my next note was those. That's that. Those are dumb fish. <laughs> um, it's a cartoon gag, right? Yep. Like that's that's like in a, a cartoon. Yep. But um, let's see why why shoot the guy? Oh, I mentioned that. Sorry. Um, uh, Here we go. We have Rona in the chat. Rona's got an answer for you. Fiery crosses were actually used to call clans to battle by Scottish clansmen in the late Middle Ages. So, hey, that's cool. That's See, awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that at all, but it's cool that it was like <laughs> accurate detail that they put into the movie. Now, did so the filmmakers good... know that is a different yeah. story. There's no Maybe they did. I, I mean, they, to be clear, they had the most Scottish person ever, Sean Connery, on set with them and they were shooting in Scotland. Maybe somebody was like, "Dude, this is how it would go down." I This is a thing. Maybe. That's that's yeah. a, that's a cool detail and I like it. And then I also hate the fact that uh, white supremacists in the south, you know, took that idea as a way to show terror and fear yeah. so i do and i will point callie says i have the coolest mum rolling out the best facts uh rona and callie are mother and daughter if uh you are if this for some reason is your first episode of sudden but inevitable in which case welcome so uh oh, so, <laughs> go ahead sean you got two seasons of greatness to catch yeah, up on you got time go leave and go listen <laughs> So my last my last note, and then I have a, a correction to make on myself, and then I'll give you my last overall uh, thought. My last note, this movie is a dick to glass. <laughs> I read your tweet this morning. I was ready to comment on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of glass broken in this movie. Um, and then my correction is when I, I, I commented earlier that I liked the score, the, the orchestra part, because it sounded like Robin Hood. It's the same dude. It's Michael Kamen. He wrote the score to this movie. I didn't know that. I should have, but I didn't. So I'm looking through it. I clicked on. It. I'm like, oh, it's Michael Kamen. Of course, it sounds like Robin Hood because he probably borrowed from himself. Is that Michael Kamen who directed the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra in concert with Metallica for the album S and M? I I think so. It's got to be I, the same possibly? Michael Kamen, right? I, uh, I, I heard guess. you say Michael Kane earlier. So I was <laughs> all kinds of confused. You're like, no way, Michael Kane. I'll rub the skull for this movie. <laughs> well, that... yeah, he just uh, retired that day. tangerine. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be. I, th I think it is. Honestly, I don't know. I, I don't see it here, but I'm not going to look too far. But he is the dude what did um, the Die Hard trilogy or the series and uh, Event Horizon and Lethal Weapon and a bunch of other great films. So, oh, the Iron Giant. I love Very cool. Giant. So oh, anyway, Iron Giant is the best. It needs all the sequels as opposed to the nine Fast and Furiouses we have. Yeah, But at least with the Iron Giant, they, they were... Um good enough to leave it where where it, it lie i mean it oh yeah i yeah. I would be willing to go back but like i, I can see i wrote a really good sequel why they did it so <laughs> um so uh if i don't like i said i don't have any other like huge main points to bring up uh ricky d do you feel like there are any other points that you have to get out before we start to wrap things up on our way out of here i think i'm good i've gotten out everything i need to i think anybody rational will agree that i've had a much uh, more sober take on the movie so <laughs> um possibly but sober and uh enjoyable are two different things for some people let's, i let's never that way. <laughs> i never said that i was trying or i never said 
I was trying to be fun with it. You never said you would pretend or that you would try to enjoy the movie or give it a chance. I agree. I know that nope. you didn't. So, well, hey, as you watch the sequels, this the first one just gets better. As you go through I'll each season of, of the, the show, sequels. yeah. <laughs> I will say, I, someone on Twitter, I posted that we are doing this, and someone said, "Don't watch the sequels; they only get worse." And then my response was, "Oh no," or something like now, that. Now, but... to that point, though, Sean, you actually might like the sequels better than this movie because you like the Resident Evil sequels better than the original Resident Evil movie. So maybe you have some weird inverse sequel thing from the rest of us. I don't know. Maybe. There, there, there are plenty of um, of examples where the sequel is better than the original, oh, and yeah. um, and I think, and I do think those Resident Evil movies get better, but they get more ridiculous. So if these <laughs> yeah. movies get more ridiculous, let, then... let, let me let me dive into that one. Is that the only <laughs> yeah. reason Highlander Two took started taking place, and then they're filming it, and Christopher Lambert said, "You know, this isn't that much much fun without Sean Connery," and so they wrote his character back into it. Yeah, Sean Connery is resurrected. Yeah, they should have. And spo- well, spoiler alert: he is resurrected in the middle of a production of Hamlet because it took it takes he's resurrected right where he died, and there's a, a theater yeah. built there, and so he's on stage with Hamlet, and he's very confused and doesn't realize that he's in a different time, and and his slow understanding of cars and tailors and and uh, and planes is. The most hilarious thing on the face of the earth, the montage of him having a suit made is on YouTube. And you watch that, you will want to watch the rest of the series. But yeah, they, they do just, it, it, it starts insane and it only gets crazier. And Michael Ironside plays the villain in the second one. And he I takes like Michael Ironside. He takes Kurgan and goes like, well, I can do that times a hundred. <laughs> it just... I can't imagine Ironside being super animated. Like he's always like he has Understood. one note, and it's just nope. like yep. gravel. Even in... I, I think maybe this is the time when he said like, you know what, I shouldn't do animated ever again. Well, here's why I don't. Here's a here's a gem for you guys. Um, um, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Something in the Forbidden Zone. Um, Shoot, I have to I have to look it up. I can't remember. Jesse, the, I just right the same the same look to you. Uh-huh. Wait, the Michael no, Myers. I, I, got, I have like I have like Sky Captain, but that's not right. But it's something and the Forbidden Zone. But it stars. It's the the theatrical debut of Molly Ringwald. It's got Ernie Hudson. It has Michael Ironsides. It's a half robot, half man. Um, gosh, I'm gonna have to I'm sure look I can this up. Google that right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 amazing. So. Anyway, uh, that would be a fun. That's a like again, bad '80s movie where nothing makes sense. It's a sci-fi movie. It's, it's just utterly ridiculous, and probably kind of like you two. I watched it young enough that I didn't care that it was terrible, mm. and we rewatched it for the podcast not that long ago. And the the, the my co-hosts were like, "Why did you make me watch this?" <laughs> I'm like, "I don't know. I, I I remembered it being better than it is." And it's see, terrible. and that's what I would say is the difference because like I know going in what this movie is, and every time I watch it, I'm like, "Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I watched this movie for. It's not any better or worse than I thought it was. It's exactly what it's pretending to be, which is a fun, cheesy." 80s movie about guys fighting with swords and it succeeds on those levels in my opinion so let's do normally what we do is we close this out with like some segments and because this is a new season and we don't have all of the pieces built for it yet they're not exactly the same as as they were before 
So let's just go ahead and start with um, giving the movie a rating. And we'll start with Ricky D and we'll go, what is that, clockwise on the screen, I think. So we'll go Ricky, Sean, Steve, and then I'll go last. And I figure we'll start with Ricky so that we can establish the spectrum for these ratings here. So give the movie a rating out of 10. I'll give it a 5 out of 10. I'm not going to stomp it that hard. Uh, I was but... I was betting too, so good thank you. <laughs> yeah. I I can see why other people would want to watch this movie, but this one this just has really nothing going for me. Nothing drew me in. I I'm past the point in my life where I'm really into the sword fighting movies. I was kind of thinking about Troy a little bit last night while I was watching this oh, and I was like this is way I, Troy. Yeah. I remember loving Troy and be like, "Yeah, swords and dudes in leather armor and woo." And I just I don't think I have that in me anymore. Uh so it just it's it's not something I was enjoying. I can recognize it does have a few merits. Uh, I definitely don't have anything against the Queen soundtrack. <laughs> Five out of ten, digging it. You know, there, there's a it, there's this movie that we we just watched, and then there's a scene in Troy where Sean Bean playing Odysseus like turns around and the camera just zooms in, which looks like something from my like my home videos, and I'm like, is he really? is he getting a quickening? <laughs> yeah. And, but well, it's just like you don't see crap like that cinematography even in Highlander. Yet this big budget thing of Troy, which was a summer blockbuster at the time, like had really had moments of crappy cinematography. So I, I, yeah. I agree. Well, and but, I would M Night Shyamalan has made a career on bad cinematography. So <laughs> well, and I would say the what the twist the benefit of Troy that or the benefit that Troy had, I think, was that most of the most of the acting was better. Um, but it was like, I mean, there was, yeah, you're, I, I agree with you that I had more fun with this than I did with Troy. So Sean, let's go with your, uh, rating out of 10, my friend. Okay. So uh, trying not to buck your system because normally on my show, I have to give like a ridiculous decibel number. You can do whatever um, you like. I'm, no, I'm not going to do that because I know you like to do the math and I'm not going to make you have to do hard work. 6.99. Yeah, if we're, because like on my show, we would have to do at least three decimal yeah. points. But I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to give it a six. Um, I didn't hate it. I don't, I actually don't think that this is a, I can't say it. It's not a great movie. I was going to say it's not a bad movie. I it don't is, think though. it's a great movie. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's, it, it's one of those movies where I feel like if the director would have had the support of a of a real studio, right? Like one of the studios is the same studio that did the Evil Dead movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like I mean, let's let's give this studio, let's give this, you know, a Paramount or a, a New Line Cinema or something, you know, let's let's get this a thirty, let's give this movie the budget that Willow had, mm -hmm. right? And let's see what the director can do because I think that the director has an idea and it's an interesting idea. And I think that there's something there that, you know, there's a neat story to be told. Um, I just feel like for me, just some of the storytelling methods fail in my opinion, but it's not a terrible movie. And frankly, once I kind of realized this is what this kind of thing is, I, I kind of had a good time with yeah. it. So um, would I watch this again? only for the podcast so oh, yeah that's good enough for me um, i will point out the you know? the other version of this movie that came out more recently was called hancock and that movie actively sucks like hate that movie end to end and it's essentially the same premise as this movie so the will smith yeah movie? like 
two Im- oh. two immortals are inexplicably drawn together over vast periods of time and you know it's like oh okay cool yeah great setup but that movie does nothing with it so you know and that movie would have been so much better if it if it was just the your head is going up his ass <laughs> and then that scene is so perfect because then you hear you hear the noise and then you see the other prisoners go oh and then it should just cut away from that yeah instead of actually showing the head up the ass cartoon that style. always bothered me. yeah but yeah. Just just seeing the reactions of the guys and then cutting back to, to Hancock like in the maybe the meeting. Yeah. Would have been perfect. That movie would have gone from a five to an eight. But <laughs> it, it remains a five. So speaking of ratings, Steve, that brings you up, my friend. What would you like to rate this movie out of ten? So I know I know I've I'm I'm on the, the hype side of the screen, <laughs> but I will I will still leave uh, I will leave Highlander at a, a nice eight out of ten because an eight and 80% will still get you a degree. Mm-hmm. It is not a perfect movie, but it is it is precious to me uh, for, for so many ways. I've already explained a few, a few reasons. Um, another one is I actually bonded with both my own mother, who is, growing up was sort of similar to Red Foreman. <laughs> and uh, so that, that one came with, oh, they're making a remake of Highlander? With Ryan Reynolds, you could totally play Duncan. Aww. Oh my god, thanks, mom. That means I look like him. And and that, and then also, you you like Highlander? <laughs> and then uh, meeting, I didn't get a chance to get to know my in-laws very well because my wife and I got married, and then I was stationed across the country. So I met the, I I got to know them over the years. But upon our several visits, we discovered that my mother-in-law loves Highlander. Very and cool. my wife was like, you like Highlander? I hated that. He made me watch it. And she said, no, Christopher Lambert was my dream man, which makes sense because she was raised in Argentina. Ah. And that's where he had a very large following. Actually, Christopher Lambert had a following everywhere but the United States, <laughs> which is why it did so well. That's why it made money. It did well everywhere else. Right. So now I watch this on my birthday. And of course, I watch it with my mother-in-law every so often as well. Very cool. And that's something we bond over while my wife sits there and goes, I'm supposed to have to watch this again. <laughs> he sat through it once. So, that should have been enough. Uh, could, I, he told me there could be only one. And then we're doing it multiple times. He lied. Uh, so. Our friend Callie in the chat said, uh, I actually liked Hancock, but it's been a while since it came out. So who knows how I would feel now? Um, I, I do have to say, you know, it, regardless of how combative our atmosphere ever gets here on sudden but inevitable there's never a uh implicit understanding for uh, on my end at least that like i for some reason suddenly hate ricky d or or am angry with somebody's opinion on a movie that's never the case it's not sudden at all that's it's yeah it's been there for years like we've been building this up for years we've we've known each other since middle school so it's like you know um but it, it i mean it really is the point of the show like i said is to bring people in front of things they're resistant to because I want to see what those barriers are. So note to self, perceived quality is a high thing on Ricky D's list for for shows that he will or will not enjoy. I will keep that in mind moving forward. Well, hey, that's going to mean me under next season because I've never seen Death Note and I had no desire to watch Death Note. And that's going to be a first for your show because we've so far watched two shows that I just 
you know, 10 out of 10 for every episode. So this is going to be a new thing for me. I'm very excited to hear that. I know some people personally in real life who watched Cowboy Bebop for their first time along with us. And I got to tell you guys, it is the coolest thing. Um, when Ricky was, Ricky and I were talking to Linnell from the California Brown Coats, she had mentioned she thinks that, you know, Sudden But Inevitable woke up some brown coats around the country and got everybody energized and like, we got kind of emotional about that. We're like, seriously, because we just wanted to give back to that awesome TV show. You know, we didn't. Oh, and cycling back to the California Browncoats, they are also owners of my pin. Yes. And just like you guys, we have, so. I was going to say, we have the same pin here at Sudden But Inevitable. <laughs> and Why is it still in the package? And the artwork behind. Mine is still in the package because I need to find a place to put pins. I don't have anything on them that I won't lose. I have a two year old in my house. So, oh, uh, what about Callie also says, uh jesse is this your way of starting a war with me she thought i was about to talk trash about her opinion death note i just i am still so excited about this callie d thank you for maintaining the hype levels because i gotta say i don't know that anybody on the screen has seen it so i appreciate that now yeah, this is me callie i haven't seen it. all of that having been said my rating for this movie is actually gonna sit um next to steve's with an eight out of ten the movie is like i said before i'm not gonna pretend that there's it's perfect or anything like that like there is a big chunk of me that remembers how it felt to discover these kinds of movies. And that means the world to me when I watch it every time. So there's definitely, like Ricky was saying, there's definitely some nostalgia coloring my enjoyment of it. But as far as like movie stuff that I like and things that make me say that was a good movie, this movie has a lot of those things. And I also like to rate on how much I enjoyed myself while watching it. And having seen this movie a hundred times, and watching it last night for the 101st time, I still enjoyed the hell out of it. I was taking notes the whole time. I was listening. I was pausing. I was rewinding. I just, it, it's a fun movie for me. It's a movie from my childhood. And that is probably why it will always be a staple for me. But like I said, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a 10 out of 10 because it is not. But the fun that I have watching it brings it up to, if you were going to objectively call it a 7, brings it up to an 8 for me. So. That's a five, a six, an eight, and an eight, which gives 6. us... 6.75. Okay. Do you want to do it, Ricky? It's a 6.75 out of 10, which is not bad. Like uh, it's, not a, it's not an F. It's not an F. It's, an F. it's close enough to a C where if you had a generous teacher, they would be bumping that a little bit, right? So I think that fits with the movie. If you watch it with a generous attitude, you're going to bump your enjoyment up of it a little bit. If you go into it, you know, wanting more than what a 1986 movie about immortal swordsman has to offer, then yeah, you're going to walk away disappointed from it. But I think that's fairly an accurate rating. Now, I will point out to you, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, on both Rotten Tomatoes' uh, critics and audience score, it is above 70%. So the film is rightly recognized for its place in the history of fantasy sci-fi movies and, you know, cult hits and things like that. And that's one of the things that, you know, I love about it is because there is this communal thing where I put out on Twitter, hey, going to watch Highlander. Do you know how many people immediately were like, oh my God, I love Highlander. I'm going to watch that. Sinisera hit me up. Sean went, I've never seen it. Cameron texted me. He was like, I've I really wish I could be there. Like Josh in the in the network chat was like, I love Highlander. I mean, it's it's a cultural touchstone. And I think that it deserves to be that. And that has nothing to do with like 
the quality of the set, right? That has everything to do with the enjoyment of the experience. I think probably for most audience members, because Ricky D, I don't think anybody would disagree with you to say that there are pieces of this movie that pretty clearly fail at what they're attempting to do. But for me, the spirit of it is what accomplishes everything that it set out to do personally. That's also why the remake has been in development hell for decade now at least yeah and for me personally if they did a high budget remake of this like we were saying earlier i could see this working really well as as a you know um maybe an eight episode a season miniseries where they focus on a different immortal each time and you know their journey and then maybe in five years there's a movie where they all show up together that would be cool like almost an mcu style assembling of the immortals i, I could totally dig on that i could dig on that too yeah because imagine like the uh, like you know one season of a Scottish of a Scotsman that's been around and then spent time in France yeah. and another one of well there was a there was a Japanese character cut out of the original film as well. Well, and they could do you know like they could have when um, when Sean Connery's characters in Egypt have it be like black and white high frame rate film, and then when he's in sure. Japan have that be an anime you know like change medium and style throughout the seasons and do all kinds of cool stuff with it because you could do that now. So. Before we get out of here, we'd like to do, uh, other than saying thank you to all the wonderful people that have showed up in our chat tonight, uh, Callie, Rona, Cameron, Josh, even Ricky D, all the people in there, we love you. Thank you guys for showing up and for being here. And Ricky D, you in particular, thank you for running the show. I know that you've been sort of just dropped into the producer chair, and I appreciate you crushing the hell out of that job, man. I know it's not the easiest thing in the world. We have a couple of picks uh, for, and and we didn't really come, I don't, I don't remember if I came up with a name for this but when we do it normally we call it the shot of the show right where we take our favorite frame from the the episode of tv that we're watching and then we we share that um so i I, I can fix that for you if you if you have it's the shot it's the shot of the show it's it's well and i i I feel like i had a sec a name for movies specifically but i can't remember what it was (laughs) um but uh sean if you have your time code did you take an actual did you take an actual screenshot? I didn't, but I can. It won't take me but a minute. Okay. So normally what we do is we'll take a screenshot and then we'll send them to Ricky. So to your point, you're 100% right that I forgot to have you send that to Ricky. But if you want to just give me the time code and describe the shot, that's totally good. We've done that before too. Okay. Uh, I'll have to give you the time code in a minute as I'm still pulling it up. <laughs> But honestly, my one of my favorite shots of the movie, which I think Ricky was one of his least favorite moments in the movie, but I loved my favorite. One of my favorite shots is um, right after Sean Connery has bit the dust and they're just kind of standing there and he's on uh, the, the, the stairs that now go to nowhere. And it's just this, I don't know, there's just, there's something about that shot that I, I really kind of enjoyed this, this, um, uh, you know, sky in the background, lightning, whatever, mm-hmm. when he's just standing on top of the stairs. I just thought it was a cool shot. So I'm working on the time code. No worries. It's, I mean, you could, like I said, it's it's in that scene. We don't necessarily need the time code. If we get it before the end of the show, I'll edit it in in post. That's, that's totally not a big deal. Um, mine, I actually also don't have the time code for, so not a problem. Ricky D, if you didn't pick a favorite shot, I will fully understand. Did you pick a favorite shot from this movie? <laughs> I did not, but I do have a quote. Go ahead. Sure. For my quote, it was uh, from Sean Connery's character. It's better to burn out than to fade away. 
Actually, I thought that was a pretty good message the for you. Cor- Corgan, Corgan, Corgan says that. Yeah. And that's the that. quote that I picked. No, you're, yeah. you're good. And it's so, it's like such a jock rock 80, 84 lyric, right? Like, of course, you know, the guy in the, the leather punk outfit with his neck stapled together would say something just so, like, all, not comical, but like on the nose, right? Like, <laughs> but I mean, it is kind of a character moment, too, because then you realize. Yeah, Kurgan is down to get killed. He just wants to fight. Like, he's all about the actual fight. Uh, uh, Steve, our friend Callie has looked into your shop, and there are many gorgeous things in there that she says. Oh, wasn't that quote improvised, asks Callie D. I don't actually know about that. Uh, I don't know about it being improvised. I know that he apologized to the clergy that were real clergy and close by about the the quote and his entire performance in in the church. Because he was afraid that they would no longer want to be clergy after seeing him. That's so he cool. Was very, he was scared about doing the scene. I appreciate that. Always, yeah. That could, like I said before, you can tell Kurgan isn't stupid, and it's nice to know that not even the actor is stupid. I, I really appreciate oh, that little detail. Clancy Brown. Yeah, that's 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 very cool. Who is our Star Trek connection for this? Episode? Exactly. Thank you. He would you like to uh, elaborate, Sean? Oh, he's in an episode of Enterprise. I didn't, I didn't capture what exact episode, but he's in an episode of Enterprise. The, every everything has a Star Trek connection. I mean, mm-hmm. outside of Sean Connery, which was the way obvious one, but they, the, oh. because he was originally supposed to be uh, Cybok, if I'm not mistaken, and then yes, he was. They, he said no. <laughs> Um, which, you know, uh, having seen that movie, I could see why he would say no to that. And I could totally see why he would say yes to this. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Steve, I know that I didn't give you the format. We didn't have a lot of planning. You, you sort of jumped in valiantly at the last moment. Do you have, do you know off the top of your head a favorite shot that you I'm, have? I'm getting it right now. Uh, yeah, it's like 47 minutes and 49 seconds in. Not exactly close to that, but it's right as they're. It's the scene when when um, Ramirez is telling him to feel the stag, and they're and they're doing their run. But there's a there's a moment where Ramirez like is is standing behind Connor and just goes and starts to and starts to take off. And then Connor's kind of sitting there like, what? And then the stag looks up and starts to run off as well. And there's the, the whole sequence of them running across the sand always always stuck with me. Very use the force moment there. Pretty much. I mean, if there was a if there was a use the force of the immortals, it was feel the stag. Yeah, I. So for me, I I and I don't have the time code, obviously, but I I mean, this is the easiest pick, and everybody knows what I'm going to pick. But it's definitely the silhouette in the factory at the end. I mean, I've said a hundred times before, I'm a sucker for a silhouette. I I think this may actually be the genesis of that. This may be the shot that got me to like silhouette action uh shots i mean this might be the one there's there's i can't really pinpoint another one in my memory now to be clear that doesn't mean it's not there um but this could be the the genesis of that preference that i have which wouldn't surprise me at all and i believe you see that in ready player one you see the silver cup studio with the two guys are on the roof as well having a sword fight so and i really wanted to be drinking out of a stainless steel cup so i could say look it's my silver cup but i you know the restrictions of an independent podcast world 
It's better to burn out than it is to fade away were also lyrics to the Neil Young song, Hey Hey, My My, Into the Black, released in 1979. Thank you. And and the Def Leppard opening, which I believe they inspired from the Neil Young. Yes. By the way, if you guys ever find yourselves in Los Angeles, I can take you to McLeod Ale, Ooh. which is a local Scottish brewery. I could dig that. So... If you guys don't have any other notes or any other points about this movie that you feel like you absolutely have to get through, I think that's going to basically do it for us for the night. I mean, I'm definitely going to say thank you one more time to the chat and everybody listening in podcast land. Do you guys... Are we just doing shots, not quotes? I I just... Oh, oh, right. Uh, We did Ricky's quote, and that totally threw me off. Um, And I believe Sean's quote was Ricky's quote as well. So, Steve, if if you have a quote, mine is personally everything that christopher lambert says because i love his ridiculous accent like i love the way that his voice sounds despite the way that his voice sounds so i I didn't pick one in particular maybe hey whatever you say jack you're the master race and then blowing the nazi away is like i mean i don't mean to take your quote but it's like dude yeah kind of did you guys even did you guys watch the version that has that scene I, the version that I, I watched has that scene, yeah. Okay. Ricky, did yeah. you see with the World War II flashback? Did you see that part? Yes. Okay, because that was cut out of the original theatrical. And just that that, that is my favorite quote after. <laughs> because that, well, that's the only version I ever saw growing up. I didn't I didn't know they, they cut it out. But oh. the fact that the, the Nazi is like, what is wrong? What, how did you do this? Whatever you say, Jack, you're the master race. <laughs> and then just blows him away. And Because to me, that's a great commentary on modern Nazis as well as um the you know the real Historical. the real nazis and just like they just believe that they're infallible and to find out they're not and then to be rewarded in such a way was such a poignant a poignant scene yeah i also love the fact that that dude was in dress uniform as opposed to in his army fatigues but that's <laughs> he was pretty uh the, the german officers tended to be in their dress yeah usually. i was gonna say that yeah. the level of pomp mm-hmm. and circumstance for their officers in particular was mm-hmm. that's probably consistent yeah. um it's something they, they, they took that from the empire and sean's like they, they... uh sean's shot comes at i believe 58 46 if you're watching on peacock so um oh uh, kelly says and jack actually sounded german i was very excited his german sounded german that doesn't usually happen in movies that's an excellent detail um sean did you have a second pick for a quote that you would like since since ricky took yours or are you good no i mean no there's <laughs> there, there's a lot of other kind of fun little quotable moments uh in the movie but no um but i i am doing a deep dive on imdb on the director which we didn't really talk much about him yeah other than when I mentioned that I think he's got an eye for this. The the dude is a music video savant and he has I mean he has 162 directorial credits. Wow. Uh, but about 155 of them are music videos. Yep. Um, but so I'm gonna so I'm gonna tie it back just for you, Jesse. He directed Resident Evil Extinction. So he's <laughs> even part of the Resident Evil uh franchise. That's hilarious. So you can't so even you have to admit that at least one of them is a little bit better because it has a Highlander. Uh, uh, I'm totally so. good with that. I can I can dig yeah. on that all day long. That's really cool. And if that is and really cool. quickly, I promise we'll go. But to that point, this is yeah. the first movie that I ever saw where I think I, I subconsciously knew, oh, this feels like a music video. And there are a lot of movies nowadays that are 
that you have been labeled, you know, very long music videos and things like that. Usually it's a criticism, but I think when it's done well, for example, let's say Tron Legacy, it's a very, very cool thing to watch on screen. And I think this might be one of the earliest examples of that. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. If the folk watching and listening wanted to hear more of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, as my name, Ricky D from Best Flicks, Ricky D would imply, I do have another podcast called Best Flicks. Uh, last week, I did an episode on The Many Saints of Newark, the new Sopranos movie that just came out. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, I'm going to do some Halloween movies for this week. Going to get together with Ryan, if you're familiar with Best Flicks. Uh, he's on there with me pretty frequently. And we're just going to talk about some good scary movies, some of the stuff that we've enjoyed. Uh, I'm sure The Shining will come up. You know, calling back to an earlier part in the movie or in the podcast that we were talking <laughs> about. Uh, but we're just going to talk about some of our favorite horror movies and give us some suggestions for people to watch before the end of October. Very cool. My friend, Sean, if the folk out there would like to get a hold of more Sean, how could they do that? Cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com is our website. Cheap Seat Reviews is the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. We're in the middle of cheap scare reviews month uh, we've done um uh we've done blade was episode one of the month we did last week we did dr sleep it was my first time seeing that it was amazing it um and again just my opinion don't yell at me through the the, the chat uh it is a completely far superior film to the shining and um that's just the way it is and this past uh, last night, we recorded a review for The Conjuring 2. And next week, we are going to wrap up with Halloween Kills. Oh, very so. cool. I believe Dr. Sleep, if I'm not mistaken, is one of Josh's favorite movies uh, overall, I think. I'm not 100% on that. Um, I just watched Halloween Kills last weekend. Um, has everybody who plans to see it seen it? Never, I've no. never seen a Halloween film okay. anyway, so Do you, Michael Myers doesn't it. die. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. Okay, um, then I will just say I mostly liked it, and then um, that changed. So um, that leaves you, Steve. If people wanted to get a hold of maybe your artwork or get in touch with you, what would be the best way for people to do that? Well, my my podcasts and YouTube channel don't exist yet. They're They've, they've been constantly in the works for several years. But in the meantime, uh, I'm on... Development hell. Yeah. Yeah. They're all woodworking and movie-based. But I'm on... My website is on Etsy. Um, Sarah Carpentry is a simple way to do that. And I have all manner of sci-fi and nerdy and fantastical things and, and whatnot. And, of course, I, I did design this pin. That's all I've got in front of me. And a, and a bunch of other things that I'd be happy to do. And the beauty of my my shop is that I don't actually sell most of the items you see for sale. People contact me and say, "Hey, I like that. But what about this?" And that's how I that's how I get stuff done. So lots of custom pieces, pretty much. Very cool. So if you're interested in your family crest, looking at you, you Scottish folks in the chat, I can hand carve that, and and we'll get that shipped across the pond for you. And those of you listening out there in podcast land, all of these links, of course, will be in the show notes of the next episode of Sudden But Inevitable. So, if nobody has anything else that they feel like they have to get out, 
let's say thank you to the chat and then let's go ahead and get out of here does anybody feel like they have to say anything i would say give the give the sequels a a, a shot if you not not ricky give it a shot and <laughs> take whatever whatever um substances you want to enjoy and hey you know what you might find the love of your life while you're doing it. there you go for the sudden but inevitable rewatch i have been jesse this is ricky d from best flicks with ricky d sorry man oh i'm terrible it's very late where i am this is sean with cheap seat reviews this is steve from cinesera it's been an honor to be here and i can't thank you all enough for joining us don't forget it's a kind of magic and don't lose your head Thank you for listening to the Sudden But Inevitable Rebop. Follow us on Twitter at Sudden But. Follow us on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. Or go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI to get everything all in one place. The Sudden But Inevitable Rebop is a Twist My Arm podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are held solely by those speaking them. I disagree 100%.